0: Everybody, this is Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan for the last, last, last time.
1: I shed a tear.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> shed a tear for it. Uh, this podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, and you can help support the Batman Universe by heading to Patreon.com/slash Batman Universe. Um, so Tim, before we get to anything, anything that we do on this podcast, what is our new name for the show for this year?
1: Yes, it's that time again. 2017 is over and Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan. It was a great title for a year, even though it was a mouthful. But (laughs) I think we got on it pretty, probably took us a few shows so we could say it in the intro without messing it up, or at least for me. But (laughs) by the time we got to the middle, I was saying it, it was coming, you know, streaming off the tip of the tongue like normally. So Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fan, goodbye. But for 2018, uh, we're going to be having another long name. But this time, it's going to be in honor of Jordan. Yes, uh, the last three, counting Jordan, our names for the show for every year has been dedicated to our loyal listeners. So for 2018, the Bat Fans Podcast will be now known as Jordan from Smallville, Bat Fat or Bat Cat Shipper. (laughs) (laughs) So let me say it again without messing it up. Jordan from Smallville, Bat Cat Shipper, because we know how much Jordan loves Smallville And, you know, how much he loves the relationship between Batman and Catwoman going on in the comics. And just, I guess, in general, the relationship of Batman and Catwoman, Jordan Love. So it just seems right to name the episode based off that with Jordan Love. So that is the new name for 2018. So let's see if we how long it takes for us to say the whole title without messing it up. And I'm already 0 for 1 on that (laughs) while
0: unveiling it. So. (laughs) Yeah. And. You know we like the long, complicated names, right? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. Right. So well, yeah. you're doing better than me already, Dane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jordan from, from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. Okay, I think I can do this every two weeks for the next year, Tim. <laughs> yeah, you got to start practicing. <laughs> yeah. So, Tim, uh, it's a new year, and I'm just wondering – after your six-hour podcast <laughs> that you did for The Last Jedi, have you recovered yet?
1: I have recovered, yes. I think <laughs> in total from you know the bit we talked about, The Last Jedi, and our review, review of it for the last episode, and then the six-hour podcast on The song Continues, and then I did the Thunderclack podcast spoiler cast for two hours on it. I was a guest on another podcast, the Bizzlecast, where I talked about it. I think I'm almost up to 12 hours of talking about Jeez. The Last Jedi <laughs> altogether. So. But yeah, there's still so much to talk about it. And glad to say, because when we did our review of it on our last episode, our final show of 2017, I didn't have you know the most positive reaction towards it because I only saw it once. That was my review of my first viewing of it. And I'm glad it worked out where pretty much the first... Three podcasts i did about it each podcast i recorded reflected how many times i've seen it so i'm glad i got my initial reactions and review recorded for our show but even though you know the theme of that episode was me being negative on a lot of things seeing it four times now i i could safely say i love the movie <laughs> it good, had a, a big turnaround on it the stuff that kind of bothered me especially with luke i've come to appreciate what you know they were trying to tell with his story and thing it is a great final arc for the character to have and it was just beautifully done especially the finale and you know with luke's death and all that just so beautifully handled and my other big complaint about ray you know parents being a nobody i'm not still 100 percent on board on that but the more i think about it and the potential that it has revolving around the force and how it's you know choosing ray as an individual to be you know uh Pretty much, for lack of a better words, the avatar of the light side of the force in this era to go against Kylo Ren and the dark side. I, it, it is a good story being told with someone coming from that horrible upbringing, her parents being a nobody, yet being chosen by the force to you know bring about the light uh, during this time of darkness with Kylo Ren rising to power. So it is a good story being told, even though I just got to get past the fact of how much I wanted. You know the main hero protagonist of this new trilogy to be part of the Skywalker bloodline, but See, that's I'm the, coming around towards it.
0: That's the one thing I never really understood. Um, uh, you had that complaint; a lot of fans had that complaint that Ray was a nobody. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, Luke wasn't really a no—he—he he, he wasn't really a nobody. But uh, Anakin was was a nobody. I mean, he—he—he he, he was a slave.
1: Yeah, it's, but it's mainly my big thing is you know this is the Skywalker saga being told here, and the event and then Anakin, you know, he was created by the Force, so that's pretty significant, and Luke was his son, which I think is pretty significant. And with Rey, I was hoping that would be you know she would continue that as being the main hero of this new trilogy in the Skywalker saga. But like I said, I'm coming around to you know the idea of her still being chosen by the Force. It's just you know she wasn't a Force birth like Anakin, but. The force did chose choose her to be, you know, bring about the light side of the force during this era. And there's something special about that because and she's even displaying, you know, greater force use and power than most normal force sensitive people would In a vein to Anakin and Luke. And I can get behind the idea as long as it's, you know, all through the workings of the force and it's singling out Ray over any other force sensitive child at that time. I think that does. You know, make her special and significant in her own way because of her, you know, different upbringing. So that's why I'm kind of coming around to the idea of her being a nobody, but yet still being involved with Luke and, you know, a part of the Skywalker. and her relationship with Kylo Ren, involved with that family, you know, is making her her story being part of the main saga films being working better for me initially when I thought, you know, that was kind of more of a negative I had when I first saw it. So definitely more viewings on it and talking about it with people and just <laughs> reflecting on certain things definitely helped with me coming around to the movie in general. So, yeah, I can right. safely say i Which is, you know, a relief <laughs> to <laughs> say. Yeah, you know how disappointed I was when we were talking about how I just didn't like that feeling of not feeling overly positive about the Star Wars movie.
0: So, so what was the big thing with Luke that uh, made you come around to it? So one of my
1: big things was, you know, The way in the flashback where he was going to kill Ben Solo igniting that lightsaber and how I said, oh, how can Luke do that after everything he went through with Vader and seeing the conflict with him? How can you not see that in Ben Solo and just seeing it even on the second time picking up more of the dialogue? I mean, I I knew what they were trying to say in the first time, but I think I just couldn't get past that fact of Luke doing that. Where seeing it the second time. His dialogue really resonated me where he said, you know, it was just, you know, just Fleeting moment that went by so quick and his diet. I love what he said immediately there when he goes I felt immediate shame and I all I saw was the face of a frightened boy whose master had failed him so That and the idea that it was only for a split second that Luke felt that way And another thing that really helped me come to terms with it that how I think it fits within Luke's character from the past is uh, talking to Kyle about it on the saga continues podcast he brought up a great point, which I wish I would have realized because it would have made me feel better about it from the get go. But Luke doing that is kind of similar to what he did in Return of the Jedi when Luke or Darth Vader was telling him about Leia. You know, if you won't turn to the dark side. Perhaps she will. And that just sets Luke off. I mean, going on and <laughs> being so aggressive, ready to kill Darth Vader right there. But and that was kind of that, you know, impulse and that reaction he had in The Last Jedi. He sensed the darkness in Ben Solo and what he would do to the galaxy and he was going to do what he had to to protect the ones he loved just like in return of the jedi he was going to do what he had to to protect leia in that instant but he didn't kill Vader; he caught himself in time shut off the lightsaber and threw it away and the last jedi he did the same thing he caught himself in time he didn't go through with it he felt shame but you know it just didn't work out where it was too late ben solo saw him and you know that set off the course of destruction for, you know, not only Ben Solo going to the dark side, but for the galaxy in general. So I just love that parallel it has with Luke and where I think it does fit with the character where, you know, he does have those moments where he gives into his impulses or a little bit of, you know, I guess the dark side for a moment there. So it all fits together with uh, narrative wise with Luke as far as his history and what we've seen before and i think it's a good reason for why he would exile himself on octo and realizing that you know it would be the time for the jedi to end because he realized the folly of the jedi that we saw in the prequels and you know the hubrisness and the you know pride that they've had to allow the to allow palpatine to rise to power and then he thought he could be you know better than that because he was a skywalker you know a legend as he said but and he still fell too so i it all works together and how that would make him think you know that it was time for the jedi to end because like he said in the movie their legacy is failure and he continued that sadly but it all comes to a great culmination at the end where he comes back and you know inspires the galaxy again and you know he is that spark that gives hope to the galaxy and you know the future generation that's going to start with ray so this is story it was really well done once you know i was able to accept and come to realize How Luke's actions, you know, wasn't, you know, such a departure from the character as I initially thought, but really fits in to the character we've seen before. And this is why uh, I love the story so much. So that was a big turnaround that I had, seeing it again and then talking about it and, you know, just seeing how it really was a good, you know, a natural progression for Luke to go through in this
0: part of his life. You see, that's the thing, too. I, I knew people would like it. And, and I knew you would like it if you just thought about it Mm -hmm. and people were, I I think the problem was that people just saw it and then they didn't really interpret it. They just, Oh, this isn't the future that I thought, this is, this isn't what I thought Luke would be. And and I'm guilty of that too.
1: Yeah. It's hard because it it is a shock when you see that. It really is. Right.
0: Yeah. But, but now like, I'm so glad that time has passed. Um, almost a month yeah and uh you know people are thinking about it rather than just purely reacting to it it's it's, it's great are. to see it <laughs> yeah and some people are coming around like you and that's why i love that movie yeah and
1: i agree and i like i said it's seen it four times i've enjoyed each time i've seen it and I, now i just can't wait to get it on Blu-ray. <laughs> how many times have you seen it
0: uh, twice, yeah. I saw okay. I saw it that that once, and then I saw it uh, again around Christmas or no, sorry, New Year's uh, with my dad. So, and Ooh, he loved he it. Like, yeah, he loved uh, it. Yeah, he was like yeah, everyone
1: no. I've seen it with, like different family members, loved it too. Well <laughs> so yeah. I was almost I was the one with, who had the problem with the <laughs> yeah,
0: it, but. yeah, and he he, he was like um, he he couldn't believe that they would kill Luke off. He was like, "Yeah, but I thought he was like the the main guy." And it's like, "No, they're trying to do something different." And you know, it's it's he he he's not the main guy anymore. That's the thing you got, you have to understand.
1: Yeah, but big time.
0: But yeah, he, he he loved it, and I'm glad that you eventually came around and you know did all those podcasts because it seemed like it really helped you. It understand, definitely did. Yeah, yeah, understand <laughs> what. Um, Or at least help you interpret what you saw. So, Exactly. So I'm glad. Um,
1: But before we leave the subject of Star Wars, Dane, i got to ask you. I mean, this image I think you've become obsessed with, as you're going to see on our cover art and your new Twitter (laughs) avatar
0: picture. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't know what's going on in that photo. (laughs) Uh, uh, Okay, so let me just describe it for those that are listening on the – on the podcast app or whatever it is George Lucas and it is, uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, Liam Neeson is dressed as uh Qui-Gon, uh, but it's off, uh, off screen. So it's off the set. Uh, he is holding an umbrella with green sunglasses <laughs> and like a bandana. And I just don't know what, what's going on and where that picture was taken because it looks like they're standing in the desert and I just don't, the, the, the photographer on set, right? Every movie has an onset photographer, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least most of the big ones do. Why would you take that picture? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and to Liam Neeson, why green sunglasses? And why a bandana? I mean, I know it's hot out there, but he, I I don't know what's going on, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you just become so fascinated with it. <laughs> I know. I'm, I, I'm, I have to find that photographer and ask him what was going on. I mean, it, were they just standing around? Were they just talking? Were they waiting for the scene to get reset? Um, yeah, I just don't understand it. So, yeah, I'm obsessed here's, with it.
1: Here's my guess, because... yeah. You know, during the shoot for episode one in Tunisia, which obviously this photo was taken from, there right. was a big uh, desert storm that happened while they were supposed oh, to film really? it. Yeah, it yeah. destroyed a lot of the sets, a lot of the pod racers. Mm. And, you know, the big thing that I think really stopped production of the movie, they lost, you know, the fake beard that Liam Neeson had to wear really? as Qui-Gon, Jinn, as Qui-Gon for those seats. So.
0: <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That's a story in itself. How did they lose the, the beard? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it had to be sitting in a container or something and maybe like an attend ready for production the next day and it's overnight right. when all the sets got destroyed it flew out and <laughs> if you watch the episode one documentary on the first dvd release titled the beginning yeah you hear i mean you know, the whole section of it is you know them dealing with the aftermath of that storm and getting production back going building the sets but you hear producer rick mccallum on a walkie talkie talking to someone from the production asking like any word on Liam Neeson's beard or <laughs> something like do we have eyes on that? Something to that effect where they're looking for pieces of Liam Neeson's beard he had to wear <laughs> in so, the movie. So, so maybe it, this photo yeah. is when he finally got the beard back. You know, he, right. They're right. ready to start production again. He's ready to film and it's him and Lucas are just waiting for, you know, to start Filming the
0: scene now that he got his beard. <laughs> so so let me get this straight. They lost the Liam Neeson Qui-Gon Jinn beard in the storm. Mm-hmm. And they had to make a new one?
1: I'm pretty sure they did. You know what? i, I got to yeah. remember if they actually... Found it. I think they found it. I don't know if they used it again. <laughs>
0: I mean, that thing must have been torn to pieces. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, just imagine finding the pieces of uh, Qui Gon's beard being searched for by the team, <laughs> by the production team. You know, building sets, getting the pod racers fixed, and everything. But then yeah. you had a, probably a crew just searching for Liam Neeson's beard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like lock arms and then yeah. go across <laughs> the dip
1: they're too cheap to make a new one
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) so much money was going to the effects (laughs) I couldn't afford to have a new beard (laughs) well um yeah so if you if if you haven't seen this picture uh go to the batmanuniverse.net uh click on over to the uh batfans section and take a look at this cover art because it is probably I'd say now now Tim I know there's been a lot of great pictures in the history of Star Wars, uh, both <laughs> on-screen uh, stills and uh, behind-the-scenes photographs. I have to say, this is number one. In book, <laughs> wow. This is number one, and that's including this new trilogy, which I haven't seen any pictures. Nobody has seen any pictures of this new Episode Nine movie, so I include that, too
1: it's it's gonna be impossible to beat for you uh it's that iconic
0: already <laughs> yeah it's it's um it's probably my favorite picture out of every single star wars image we've ever seen in any movie <laughs> in any tv show
1: it only took you almost 20 years
0: to <laughs> find the picture and become fascinated by it yeah i just couldn't stop looking at it it's um it's it's probably the only the only photograph like it. I don't think uh, you know. That's probably fair. <laughs> I, I don't think you'll see. I don't know. A Robert Downey Jr. in half of the, you know, Iron Man suit with green sunglasses in the desert talking to George Lucas.
1: Yeah, and I would say Robert Downey Jr. would have much more expensive
0: sunglasses than the we <laughs> he, he said to wear. <laughs> Oh, sunglasses. Like, I I need those sunglasses. I, I mean, I'm not even gonna wear them. I'm just gonna have them.
1: Oh, just go to any you know drift store or like supermarket <laughs> and you can find them for probably really cheap. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but yeah. Anyway, uh, that aside, um, I'm so glad that you've come come around to liking uh, the Last Jedi. Um, Me too. <laughs> it was very, very weird that you didn't didn't like a Star Wars movie, Tim.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a feeling I did not enjoy having. Yeah. Those two days where I went from seeing it once to twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those are two rough days. But.
0: <laughs> well, I am so glad, Tim. Um, but now we can get on to our Dark Knight Rise minute by minute commentary. Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, this is going to be from minute 96 to 97. And um,
1: you know what, Dane, before we start, I should say, is it time to finally put Blu-ray as part of the dead media formats? Because I did get the Dark Knight trilogy on 4K. And
0: and is there any difference?
1: Yes. There is? (laughs) It looks awesome. I haven't watched all the movies in full yet, but I popped in the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises to see a few scenes. I watched the opening of the Dark Knight, the bank the bank robbery. I saw the car chase or the bat pod chase with the truck and those are the two IMAX scenes and I watched the the fight with Bane and the ending fight with Bane and the Dark Knight rises. All the IMAX stuff looks incredible in four K. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> and, and,
0: and that was what I was gonna ask you is they like, could you see a difference in the IMAX scenes with the IMAX yeah. cameras and big uh, time really lately really, like, like, you can clearly tell that this is an IMAX camera
1: yeah mm. Mm.
0: and even yeah. the normal film
1: shots like i watched the interrogation scene too that that looked good in 4K but when you see the IMAX stuff oof, man, <laughs> it takes your breath away it looks so good so really yeah uh the 4K movies i the ones i've gotten have been a little hit and miss i mean they all look good but some certain ones i've tried out they didn't have you know, quite the big leap I was hoping for in quality from blue from Blu-ray to 4K, but certain movies like Guardian of the Galaxy Volume Two and the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises those look incredible. <laughs> so, I guess more of the the ones I think where they take because Nolan really took his time in you know remastering these and you know the restoration process to make it into 4K. I think they were really made sure they got it right, and you can tell compared to other movies where it might just be an upscale or a quick. You know, upgrade to the 4K resolution, but these look amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> if you have a 4K TV and player, I highly recommend getting the Dark Knight trilogy. The only negative I will say, remember how the Dark Knight trilogy Ultimate Edition that came out in Blu ray back in what, 2012 when the Dark Knight Rises? Was it 12 or 13? Maybe it was 13. 13. 13. Okay. It had that documentary, The Fire Rises, about the making of it. And yeah. I was expecting that to be on the 4K trilogy box set but it wasn't like that's kind of disappointing so (laughs) i was hoping to finally own that because i never did get that box set but still it's not on there so other than that though the picture quality is amazing so yeah we might have to put blu-ray on our dead media formats now that the dark knight (laughs) rises is officially on 4k
0: (laughs) are there any special features on um the box set
1: pretty much all the ones that you already saw on the blu-ray nothing new i see
0: Hey, did you see uh Dunkirk?
1: I just saw that last week because it oh, got down did? on 4k too yeah <laughs> oh
0: yeah i I, I just I, I didn't see it in the movie theater, but I, yeah I just saw it and it's a it's a really good movie yeah, it, I really not like not a lot, a lot too. of dialogue either.
1: Nope, it was different especially I wasn't ex maybe I should have because it's you know Nolan does this from time to time as far as you know the story taking place or the movie playing out in different time frames of the story and not being told in a linear fashion kind of yeah. like batman begins but it didn't make it so obvious at first where you kind of thought everything was taking place at the same time but the more as a, the movie went on you realized, no oh, these things aren't matching up quite right things are taking place at a different uh time period right and then yeah. i had to remember well they did say that when they showed each section of the movie and i believe it said in the first one at, at the beach like i said one week and then at uh the family with the boat—it's a one one day or one hour. Then the yeah. fighter pilot said one day or one hour. One of those two. So that kind of gave it right there. Once I realized that, oh yeah, okay, this is taking place at different times. But then
0: it all—they all met up together at the finale of the movie. Yeah, I I, I totally missed that one week, one hour, one month thing. Um, it wasn't until you they uh, that family um, picked up uh, Killian Murphy on the ship. Yeah, uh-huh. I was like, wait. And then the, there's a scene where he's in a lifeboat. And it's like, yeah, oh, and it's okay. night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's nighttime. And it's, yeah, I didn't pick that out. But, yeah, I really liked it. Um, not a lot of dialogue in it.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, it really did a good job of making you, you know, really get the sense of what it's like being, you know, amongst, of course, you can never tell what it's like unless you're actually there yeah. fighting in the war. <laughs> but I liked the atmosphere it created where it didn't cut back to any scenes with, like, generals talking in an office room telling their plans of what they should do to evacuate their soldiers like that it just really kept everything in the point of view of the soldiers and the soldiers the fighter pilots and the family on the boat the rescuers and that was all the point of views you got. which worked it really helped set the tone of what you know it was like being in that situation for those soldiers and everyone involved on in dunkirk so yeah that was just i think i thought a great unique way to tell the story there
0: Yeah, and Tom Hardy uh, wearing something over his face in a Christopher Nolan movie again. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) uh, for most of the movie. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, it's not till like the end that you see his face, right? Or the beginning, a little bit in the beginning, and then the end.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when someone Chris Nolan needs someone whose face is going to be covered, Tom (laughs) Hardy's the guy to call.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and put on a weird accent too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, uh, this Christopher Nolan movie, The Dark Knight Rises, um, is from uh, minute 96 to 97. So grab your Blu-ray, sad sad to say.
1: Yeah, that's time.
0: (laughs) Uh, Grab your VHS copy, grab your projector, grab your HD DVD, grab your LaserDisc, grab your um, Blockbuster rental, and then your Netflix um, physical media subscription. And your GameFly movie subscription. <laughs> Don't forget GameFly. Do they have movies? I thought they did. I I think they sell movies.
1: Huh, sure. Maybe yeah. And yeah, maybe they added that after I unsubscribed for my subscription, which is yeah. like ten years ago. So it is possible.
0: <laughs> oh, You too. Like I, I I must have tried it like twice. Uh, I I, I must have read to like two games, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, but but speaking of video games, before we get to this Starnet Rises minute by minute commentary, um, I got an Xbox, Tim. I don't know if you know this, Tim. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, seeing your name on my Xbox friends list gave me a pretty good idea that you had one now, which I got to say is awesome. So welcome to the Xbox Live family, date. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, so I have both consoles. This is the first time I've um, owned an Xbox since the early days of the Xbox uh, 360 it just came it it had just come out and i bought the xbox 360 before i bought my playstation uh 3 so um just a quick review the controller is way way better than it was on the 360 um i especially like the uh um the is it are they called bumpers or are they called triggers yeah. um, well the ones like on the very bottom of the triggers, the top ones are the bumpers. Okay, so the triggers. I like how in some games, uh, if you're going left or if you're going right, um, the 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 uh, triggers vibrate, but the other one uh-huh. doesn't. So, like for example, in Forza, if you're over braking, uh, the left trigger will rumble. And if you're burning out, your right trigger will rumble. So I really like that feature. Cool. Um, the buttons, not so much. Um, I think they need to do something uh, more with the with the buttons. Um, they're a little too slippery, and they just feel cheap.
1: You know? Yeah, I know what you mean there. Sometimes they yeah. feel like if you play it a long time, like they're going to
0: pop off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, I... I actually like the joysticks more that, uh, on the Xbox controller than I do on the PlayStation controller. So, yeah, I, I, I really like the joysticks on them. Uh, D-pad, not so much. Yeah, um,
1: that's the biggest flaw on every Microsoft controller is the D-pad is awful. Unless you get the Elite controller. but
0: Right, so. right. But overall, I love the new controller. Um, I, I thought that the Xbox 360 one, especially when you load it up with batteries, was way too heavy uh and too bulky but this one they slimmed it down they made it lighter um which brings me to my next criticism is you got to just put in the wireless controller rechargeable battery yeah. um you cannot just you, you can't have it where you have to buy a separate thing you know you just have to have it where it's you know it's it's like the PlayStation one where it's you can either do it um Wirelessly, or you can connect it to the, the PlayStation. And that's how you charge it, you know, and you can play at the same time. Um, I actually have to just go out and buy a, a long USB uh, cable and plug it in because, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to keep on redoing the batteries, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, I got a rechargeable battery pack right away. <laughs> I got my yeah. Xbox system. This is so much more convenient. Uh, but positives, I really, really like the the user interface on the Xbox yeah. more than I like it on the PlayStation. The PlayStation is really, really basic. It gets real boring after a while, so you have to put up a wallpaper. Um, but the Xbox uh, UI is so much better with all the window with, with the yeah Windows because it's based on Windows, right? Hmm. Um, with all the windows and like all the little like uh, how you can go back and forth through the through the menu, I just like how smooth it flows flows. It it flows better than the uh, the PlayStation UI. So yeah, that's the positive. Um, yeah, overall a really really good system. Um, the biggest letdown though, Tim and I hate to say this to you. I think is, I know what's coming. Is Battlefront. Yeah, but I knew it. Right? <laughs> yeah. I it. just, ah, it's so, so disappointing. Uh, especially that campaign. I am having a hard time getting through it. It's just, ah, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the, um, just sort of basic Call of Duty campaign. Where it's a, uh, it's on rails, and you can't really do anything. Um, yeah, that that's just that that was just a huge huge letdown. Uh, the the basic weapons, um, nothing really special there. I know if you play the, the online multiplayer, maybe it gets a little more complicated, a little more specialized. But yeah, you can um, modify all that stuff and upgrade them. Yeah. But in the campaign, it's ah, such a letdown. Um,
1: yeah, the campaign, I thought, it wasn't great, but to me, it, you know, it was good enough for me to enjoy it. The story, I thought, could have been better. I thought, I wish... Well, how far are you into the campaign? <laughs> like, what
0: um, map are you on? I just finished the disappointing uh, TIE Fighter part. Okay, you your Imperial TIE Fighter still, so, like...
1: So I don't, do you care if I spoil it? If you're not enjoying, it?
0: <laughs> yeah, because I I, I kind of want to just play it for the story. So okay, uh, I'll take it, it. Yeah, it's the first the w- when you have to fight your way to the landing platform, and then you take off, and then the, ne- the next stage is the um, uh, you're kind of in space, and there's a bunch of like debris. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So
1: you're still pretty early on into it, then. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm having a really hard time uh, getting through it it's it's not made very well if i if i have to <laughs> complain about it i'm sorry tim <laughs> i know i i know this is like your game
1: well to yeah. be honest it's not my favorite game of the year it's probably like my fifth favorite game of the year yeah. so not taking it too personally but it's this multiplayer is definitely the most fun i've had with it the single player you know i enjoyed it for what it was but it was nothing
0: great or special so yeah i kind of know what you're saying there but but
1: Visually, though, it looks
0: amazing. <laughs> but on the positive side of games, uh, Tomb Raider: Rise of the Tomb Raider is really, really good.
1: Yeah, I've heard good it's, things about it's that. It's
0: one of the best games I've played. I guess last year, since uh, this is a brand new year, um, it's it's such a great game. It's a, it's a way way better story than the first one. Uh, more of a memorable villain, I'd say. Mm, okay, and, that's good. Uh, yeah, the, the whole. The whole the, the the whole thing is great, and I like the new Lara Croft. Uh, she's she's probably like one of the best uh, heroes in video games right now. Um, yeah. One complaint. To... One I'm complaint sorry, go ahead. though. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, one complaint. Um, I I don't really like how they. I don't know if they gave the actress. I, I forget her name, but. Uh, I don't know if it's just the direction they gave her, but um, it's she. She kind of overdoes it with the with the heavy breathing while she's talking. Okay, the, you know what I mean? Like, like let's say you ran, right? You ran over to somebody and then you started talking to them. She mm. she she does that like way too way too much. I mean, she <laughs> huh. the, the, there's one scene where she's literally looking at documents. And then somebody comes in and she's out of breath and she's trying to talk to them and she can't catch her breath, you know. She sounds, <laughs> she sounds like an asthmatic person or somebody like that smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> well, no, I haven't played the game yet, but I would just imagine, you know, with all the running and stuff that she has to go through, it just yeah. from the first game, I would – I guess it would kind of make sense if she's so out of breath, <laughs> well, the amount of situations she, no. she gets herself into. But again, I haven't played the second yeah, one, yet, I was about so to say it doesn't
0: w- apply. W- without spoiling it, she was in London in her dad's house. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't out, you know, adventuring. <laughs> so yeah, uh, definitely made up for Battlefront. Um, I just love Rise of the Tomb Raider, the first Tomb Raider, uh, and hopefully they make another one. It's kind of weird how they did that exclusive, though. The Xbox exclusive, where they, they didn't release it for three months or whatever it was. And then after that, it went to PlayStation. But uh, yeah. anyway, yeah, great game. Uh, so yeah, overall, I think the Xbox is right on par with, uh, with the PlayStation. PlayStation has a few things that I don't like, uh, like I said, the menus, the, the, the menu screens, um, some of the bugs where it'll shut down your system, um, uh, you know, just little stuff like that, and the Xbox has some stuff, uh, a lot of crash issues, I'd say, uh, I was playing, uh, Forza Horizon 3, uh, that crashed on me like twice and then when i was playing really? tomb raider it crashed so huh. i don't know if it just has to work itself out or something uh, but i you know had to turn off the system so
1: yeah it's happened a few times but not so much where i think it's become a nuisance or a problem just, it is rare for me when it does crash but it does happen so yeah yeah
0: yeah so overall it's right on par um you you'll do well if you can only buy one um Either one. Uh, you just have to pick which exclusive you like better. You know, exclusive yeah, that's, titles. that's what it comes think, down to. Yeah, which I think PlayStation has the better exclusives. But, um, I don't know, you might think that Xbox does. but uh, Yeah, for me, PlayStation has better exclusives. Um, but, you know, if you're not into that, you're not into the exclusives, then either one will do you good. So... Yeah, that's my review of Xbox.
1: Well, again, I'm glad you're part of the you know Xbox Live family again, Dane, and hopefully there will be a game where we can finally play together. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Battlefront, but now I don't know how much you're going to be playing that. <laughs>
0: so. it, it, it's almost getting to the point where I'm thinking about uninstalling it. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Oh, uh, shame. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good. Um, but anyway, yeah, sorry, I... It, it It's like a huge, huge, huge uh, tangent, but sure. <laughs> let's do it dark uh, and rise mid up by minute commentary, so Tim, are you ready? Let's do it all right, so minute 96 to 97. so uh uh three two one, hit play
1: the Gotham city at sunset with smoke fill in the sky, looks very pluty, yeah. <laughs> And Gotham's always known for not looking the best yeah. <laughs> as far as, like, when you compare it to cities like Metropolis. <laughs> then we get, the finally, the Gordon and John Blake you know, relationship really building here. Yeah. And, I've, and I've, as much as we you know we've only been doing it in a minute, it is going by fast because we're getting to some pretty big stuff coming up. Between them, because just a few, you know, I guess, episodes ago, there are Gordons in the hospital, so it's good to finally
0: start getting scenes with him where he's out of the hospital and with John Blake. Just wait till we get to the Bruce training montage <laughs> in the pit. Yeah, was a few times of him trying to make the jump,
1: and here at Bane's big speech, which you know we're, we're just, not going to make. No, through,
0: no, we're
1: just going to end with Selina Kyle Celine. in her jail cell yeah. watching him. So we'll definitely get into more Bane speech in our next one, which I got some stuff to say.
0: <laughs> you know, um, what I've always wondered, or maybe I'm, I just can't remember, mm-hmm. you know, when they, when uh, uh, John Blake and Commissioner Gordon go to that apartment and yeah. talking, is that Blake's apartment or is that, I assumed
1: it was Blake's yeah well but it might be Gordon's because you know his wife and family left him so I don't know I guess we'll have to speculate and dive into that once we get to that part maybe we can spot certain things yeah (laughs) because I was thinking whose apartment it is
0: yeah I was thinking that Blake is just a regular beat cop right Mm. and I don't think he can afford an apartment that nice (laughs) no
1: true (laughs) so
0: maybe it's Commissioner Gordon's yeah um, like I said, we'll have
1: to get a better look at it when we get there.
0: <laughs> but anyway, uh, our future topic for this episode, Tim.
1: Yeah, so for our future topic for this episode, we're in 2018 now. So that means we got to do our annual year in review of 2017, where we talk about some of our favorite comics, writers, artists, and just moments of DC and Batman, and also some of our disappointments of 2017 in regards to the comic writers, artists, and moments or events that happen so um to kick off as always we start with our best comic writer of 2017 and if you were to ask me about when rebirth was first starting we got the first arc of tom king's run i probably wouldn't have thought i would be giving him the award for best comic writer of 2017 for me but he's had a lot of great issues this year and you know not all of them were perfect i will say that there were still some issues i didn't quite enjoy mainly in the wards of jokes and riddles but he definitely had more great stuff than he has ever had in a year i would say you throw in i am storyline which i thought was fantastic you had rooftops with uh, batman and catwoman and then throwing in their whole uh getting engaged which at first i wasn't sure how that would play out but yeah, uh, the issues we've gotten the more recent ones, it's turned out to be a really smart move in my opinion because there's been some great scenarios and interactions with them and other characters that made for some really good reading. And then you just you know throw in, like I said, some stuff in the wards and riddles that I really didn't like, but there was some also amazing stuff in that story arc, in particular his story of Kite Man and those Ballad of Kite Man issues. I mean, who would imagine that such you know a D or even more below grade level character would have one of the most compelling stories of the year in comics, as far as the Batman villains would go. So he did an awesome job there with Kite Man. And then even the end of the wars of jokes and riddled, that final confrontation with Batman Joker and Riddler was so, so good. And just a great, you know, conclusion to that story arc, even though there were some bumps in the road, it all came together in the end for a really satisfying story. But the thing that sets Tom King at the top really for this year is the button storyline and the moments we've got a uh, Batman and the Thomas Wayne version from Flashpoint, which I'll get into more later <laughs> when I get to another category, but all those stories and moments and comics is what's, you know, given what's going to make me give Tom King the best writer of 2017 award for our podcast. He really started to, I think really become one of the best this year while Early on, when Rebirth first started, it was a lot more stuff I didn't like than I did, but now it's becoming the opposite. where there's most, more stuff that I do enjoy from him than I do not. So, Tom King, you get the best writer of 2017. And now for best comic artist of 2017, going to keep it in the, the Batman title family where I'm going to give it to Jason Fabok for the art that he did. And not all of the Tom King's books, but the main one being The Button. The artwork on that really complemented the, the amazing story that was being told here. Some of the moments that we've gotten to Batcave with Thomas Wayne, Bruce and Barry and the, the action sequences they had in there, the emotional moments, it just really perfectly captured what, you know, I think what made or helped with what made that story arc so, so good. And Jason Fabok's art really helped with that. And yeah, also doing the I am Bane storyline with some great visuals with that as well, as far as, you know, the action sequences between Bane and Batman. There was really some great moments that played out there. So yeah, I'm going to give the best artist of 2017 to Jason Fabok. And now for my best or actually the best single issue of 2017. um, This is where I'm really going to get into the button story arc Batman number 22, the moment where Batman and Bruce Wayne and Thomas Wayne come face to face and they have, such incredible dialogue together. I mean, it was really special. There are some really great issues this year, like I said, um, or actually I haven't mentioned yet, but Batman and Elmer Fudd was another <laughs> big surprise this year from Tom King, which you know, like I said so many great different story arts that help make him my favorite writer of 2017. Batman and Elmer Fudd was such a surprise, but such a well told story. Just a great single issue story that we got. And then At the beginning of the year, I think one of our first episodes of 2017, where we reviewed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Batman number four. I thought that was going to be, you know, my favorite issue of the year. It was so good with Batman telling his origins to Raphael and really having those characters connect, I thought, was brilliant in that issue. But the stuff we got in the button with Thomas Wayne and Bruce Wayne... It was just special to read as a Batman fan, seeing Bruce get to interact with his father like that, and then just the words that Thomas Wayne was telling him about, you know, to live your life, don't you know, be obsessed uh, with the death of your parents like I have been with the death of you in this universe, and just you know, to live your life with your son, to you know, just be happy, and that's what you know, set off the events of Bruce realizing taking those words to heart. I'm glad he did it, just. If anyone's going to have an effect on Bruce and maybe not wanting to be Batman anymore, it would be cut words that came from his father. So it all made perfect sense and what led into Bruce wanting to propose to Selina Kyle. So there's so much stuff that came from that story, the button. But that issue of Batman number 22 being... The meeting between Bruce and Thomas Wayne and the dialogue they had just made it really, really good and special. And I had to make that my you know, best single issue of 2017. So, yeah, it was great. And hopefully it'll be hard to do, but there'll, hopefully there'll be more stuff in 2018 that can rival that moment because it was pretty special. But then I guess we'll get into final bit of favorites of 2017. Favorite overall Batman or DC moment. Uh, Favorite moment or experience, I should say, of 2017. And this one I'm going to cheat. I'm going to kind of give it to two, but it's going to be on the movie front. Seeing Wonder Woman and seeing a Justice League movie were pretty special for me this year. I mean, we know the DCEU has had its problems, but those kind of all went away for a time period with Wonder Woman and just how the divisiveness of Batman versus Superman, Man of Steel, Suicide Squad. We had none of that with Wonder Woman. And it was really... It's a DC movie that, you know, pretty much everyone responded to and enjoyed and pretty much became a phenomenon of the year, which was amazing to have that for Wonder Woman's first movie and deservedly so. It's a great movie. I mean, she got the treatment that she deserved for live action. I mean, Patty Jenkins, Gal Gadot, everyone involved did such a fantastic job with Wonder Woman. So getting to experience that this year was a highlight. And I might be in the minority with this, but I got to say the same for Justice League. I know I'm one of the, the ones who really, really enjoyed it, seeing it the first time. And I still maintain of loving the movie because it just total DC goodness for me and geeking out with a lot of stuff. Yes, it has its problems. But to me, I, the stuff that I got on screen, I just enjoyed the heck out of it. Seeing all these heroes finally together in a movie when they were together, they just nailed it. For the most parts, their interaction was just so great. Seeing the Justice League on live in live action in a movie for the first time was, you know, for the most part, what I wanted to be. Sure, I could set it on a review stuff, some stuff where I wish they could have had in the Justice League movie, but um, what I got, I'm gonna take. And I just had a great time watching it uh, for the first time, which is such a cool experience as a DC fan to finally get that. So, those are my favorite overall moments of the year. But as always with favorites comes disappointments. So <laughs> for some of my disappointments of 2017, uh, for disappointing writer, this was hard to do because I almost wanted to take this out because I kind of felt bad having it because there wasn't really extru- anything really, really bad that I thought, Oh, this is easily the worst. But if I'm going to go with disappointing and this might surprise you, Dane, but I think I'm going to give it to Scott Snyder this year, which I never thought I would do, but I Scott Snyder, I hold on such a high level as far as a writer for doing such great stories. And 2017 just, he had great issues and stories in all star Batman, like the first ally. I love that. But the art that came before that, it was, you know, okay. It was not great. But the main thing that I'm going to have Scott Snyder as my disappointment of 2017 is because of dark nights metal. I just haven't really been enjoying it. Like I was hoping I would, and I'll kind of get into more to that later, but it just, yeah, it just too much going on in there, and I just felt it just not hitting the right beats and notes that I was hoping it would, and like normal Scott Snyder stories usually do for me. So, well, again, while it's not horrible, some of his stuff was a little more disappointing, and which was surprising. So, I'm gonna have to give, unfortunately, that uh, title to Scott Snyder for disappointing writer 2017. Now, most disappointing artists of 2017, this one was a little easier because uh, uh, this one's going to go to Marcio Takara, which uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing the name right. But it was uh, the the, the artist for the Detective Comics story arc of League of Shadows. And that wasn't one of my favorite arcs in general, but there was one issue of it where it was just really, really bad. (laughs) I think it was in 954 where it's just the artwork, the character of models in the faces just did not look right. And so that was something that stuck out, me, stuck out to me for the year where out of all the issues I've read, it just you know was the one that didn't look the greatest. So I'm sorry, Mr. Takara, but <laughs> the, the honor of worst, or again, I don't want to say worst, most disappointing artist of 2017. And then most disappointing issue of 2017 for me, again, going back to Detective Comics, is that issue of 954. Not only the art, but the story arc that was probably the one out of the whole year where I just didn't like was mainly for different directions. They took in particular, this issue, this is where we get revealed where uh, Bruce always thought that, you know, we got the league of shadows, you know, they were different from the League of Assassins. He thought they were a myth and all that. And that's because Raish wiped Bruce's mind to have him forget some of the encounters he had. And to me, that just sounded like a retread of certain other stories we've had with Batman losing his memory. I the mean, Identity Crisis comes to mind first. And it's just, you know, a trope I felt was unnecessary there to kind of create this group to be more of a threat and more of a mystery, which didn't work for me. So uh, the only good thing about that, League of Shadows arc was the development of Cassandra Kane and you know the, her coming to terms with her mother being Lady Shiva and how evil she is so that was good but the rest of the stuff you know with Raish and Bruce just you know didn't really work for me so that was my miss disappointing issue of 2017 but then the biggest disappointment in 2017 in regards to DC or a Batman experience That's going to go to the Batman and Harley Quinn animated movie. And I'm sorry, Jordan, I know you really liked it. (laughs) You probably don't want to hear me saying that again. But I just had really high hopes for that movie going into it because it was almost going to be like a DC or a Batman animated series episode turned into a movie. You got Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester back as Batman and Nightwing again, which they haven't done since the new Batman adventures and that alone had me super excited. But then you had the animate animation style looking like the new Batman adventures. But then the movie turned into uh, just too slapstick. The humor just really went over the top in certain areas that really, really brought the movie down. It could have been a cool team up with Batman, Nightwing and Harley that definitely had their moments. I'm going to give it that, but the majority of it, the humor they tried to pull off for this film was just it did not work for me so sad to say that was my biggest disappointment in 2017 so yeah those are my picks and dane i know you haven't or haven't been able to read too many comics this year but was there any particular that you wanted to mention that even if it wasn't this year but just a story you read that you really liked or one that you didn't like
0: yeah so uh probably dark knight it took me a while to get around to it but it is such a great story. I I like how Paul Dini kind of goes. He he he's like pitching a story. It's kind of mm-hmm. how he makes it, and he's he's going through like his his story about how he got mugged and how it sort of it it hurt him. And it's it, it was really really refreshing to see. You know, not only just a comic, but a graphic novel do something like this um where it's 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 not all about you know something crazy it's it's about you know just the guy and what he went through you know it's it's really simple and i i just love it i don't know why it took me so long to read it (laughs) what two years is it (laughs)
1: almost but <laughs> hey i'm glad you did it was a fantastic story so yeah yeah i think when we were doing our year review for 2016 i i put that up as one of the best stories of that year and i'm trying to remember what did i pick for <laughs> my number one story but i know it was definitely up there because it was one of the best so even though it took a little while i'm, I'm just glad you read it because yeah it was a cool story to experience yeah well, and I should say cool and an important story because what Paul Dini went through in that story r- was really awful. And you know, it's the effect it had on him psychologically. Yeah. I mean, you really fell for him for what he had to go through and how he came out of it. So again, it was great to read as fans of Batman and Paul Dini in the animated series, but you know, just, you know, something that a story was important to tell for Paul Dini too. And I, you know, gave him props for being able to put that down into words into uh, an enjoyable comic book so yeah definitely got to give him props for that
0: yeah I didn't know like all that sort of happened around the time they were writing uh, I almost said Phantom Menace <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Mask laughs> a little bit the, before that <laughs> Mask of the Fantasms. Um mm-hmm. yeah it was like you, you're on such a high you know you're writing a movie and then something like this happens to you or even when he won was it an Emmy? Yeah, mm-hmm. and he he was feeling depressed because there was nothing really in his life. Uh, he was chasing after a woman that he he realistically never could be with, and you know that he he didn't really have anybody, and you know just just sort of the um, sort of y- y- you can be on such a high, but then be so low. You know, you could, you could be winning an Emmy, or you could be writing a movie. Uh, but you you're sort of going through this kind of depression you know it's 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 a really great balance it's it's so refreshing to see in a in a Batman book or a book that is kind of about Batman but is mostly about Paul Dini yeah um a favorite overall Batman or DC moment uh has to be one Woman. such a, it, it was such a great movie um, and what I thought would be the refresh on the DC movie universe, but ended up just being a flash in the pan, it seems so far. <laughs> uh, so yeah. far, I'll say, so uh. far. Um, not sure how it's going to turn out, but it seems that way. So, yeah. Um, as for disappointing uh, DC moments, it's going to have to be... I'm sorry, Tim. I'm sorry, uh, Jordan. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you like this, but uh it has to be Justice League. I knew we were gonna be on opposite sides there, Dane. Oh um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty obvious if you've listened to this podcast before. Um, big, big, big disappointment. I thought they'd learned their lesson. Uh reviews came out and it was like, okay. They haven't. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's not only the movie; it's also the fact that it's the they they restructured the entire DC film uh, side of Warner Brothers. You know, <laughs> they 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 needed this movie to come out, and not do the mo- not not do big big money, and. They had to restructure the whole DC films. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of bad, and now you know, so, so, sort of like the Justice League. I mean the the Green Lantern movies, the Flash movies. The I, I know they already finished with the Aquaman movie. Um, the The Batman movie. What's going on with that? You know, I know there's a new director, but you know uh, is mm-hmm. ben affleck going to be batman not for what i saw in justice league you know is, it is it seems like he doesn't even want to be batman anymore play batman anymore you know it's mm-hmm. so it's it's sort of like all of that combined into justice league and it's like ah uh, it's it's not a good movie i mean it's it's not a good movie it's not written well the cgi doesn't look good Ben Affleck is kind of just. I have to do this movie, you know. So I'm just gonna have to do it, you know. Uh, only bright spot: one was one woman in that movie. So I hate to say it, then because I know <laughs> it's gonna break your heart. <laughs> Biggest disappointment is Justice League.
1: Well, you do make a good point, Dane, as far as I will agree, as far as one of the bigger disappointments as well this year is while I enjoyed Justice League, the fallout of Justice League and all the stuff you alluded to with Warner Brothers and all that, that was a major disappointment as well. So glad you brought that out because that was definitely something we didn't want to happen. And yet it did. So I would definitely chalk that up to a disappointment of 2017. No doubt about it. But before we wrap up, got a couple of responses from Twitter when I put the word out for some of our listeners' favorite moments. So first up, um, from our good buddy Rob Myers at Everybody Loves the Drake Podcast, Um, one of his favorite comic moments was uh, from the third part of A Lonely Place of Dying where Tim is finally reunited with Bruce and uh, they see each other for for the first time after believing he was dead and just Bruce apologizing. It's a great panel where Bruce says, I'm sorry, I can't – like." I, he just goes to save your strength <laughs> like this embracing tim this is after feeling so guilty about allowing him to die and i agree rob that was a great moment so uh the, and also we got a response from chris s at chris strand 73 on twitter and this was another great moment from batman and i loved it when i read the issue and when i reviewed it on our show from the i am bane storyline where bane says to the effect that he's going to kill batman or break him and Batman's response is so good he's beat up bleeding on the ground and he goes you know how many times I've heard that rest in peace Batman there's no escape Batman time to die Batman and he goes every night over and over for so many years this is the end Batman every night and yet I'm still here and that's when he gets up ready to fight Bane and take him down that was a great If it was a movie, it'd be a cheer-in-your-seat moment if you saw that play out for Batman. It was just really, really cool. So I definitely agree with you on that one, Chris. That was one of the better Batman moments of the year. So uh, thank you guys for responding. And that's going to, I guess, wrap up our best of and disappointments of 2017. And hopefully it'll be, for 2018, another year where it's hard to pick the favorite moments, kind of how it was for me in this year with all the good comics we've got and a tough tough to pick disappointments as well, because that's always a good thing, which means, you know, there's more great stuff out there than disappointments. So we'll see what 28 has in store for us. But overall, I thought 2017 was a great year for Batman and
0: DC. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> in your case, Dane, minus Justice League. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess just keeping things on the movie front. Um, uh, the... Walter Habata has been named president of DC Films at Warner Brothers. I guess he's known for like uh, The Conjuring and the It movie, which was really good, by the way. Surprised me. Uh, didn't mm. think that It was going to be that good. Yeah, I've uh, heard good things about it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, there's some little like CGI moments. I, I guess it's like... I guess it's like fast running. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, I but did like, see um, one sh- uh,
1: thing yeah. like that. I think you might be referring to in the commercials where Pennywise comes out of the water and he's moving really fast. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. what I'm
0: talking about. Yeah, and the, there's there's a couple scenes where it's clearly green screen and he's supposed to be jumping towards somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and it's uh, it doesn't look good. But okay. overall, <laughs> overall. It's a really good movie. It, it surprised me because I did not think that this movie was going to be good. Um, see, j- just going off of the trailers and stuff, I didn't think it was going to be good, but finally saw it. It's fine. It's great. The water is fine.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so this news, again, you heard my rant on our last episode about the restructuring yeah. they were going to do. So this one i'm glad they got somebody to take over it was someone i wouldn't expect with walter hamada as far as you know being kind of more in the horror genre to move over to the superhero side of things but as long as they have a voice in there that's going to oversee everything i'm glad about but at the same time i still wish you know with jeff john's running the show and they even said in this press release he's going to work closely with jeff john so i'm glad he's still going to be involved even though probably not at the capacity as he was before but Still, I always think it's a good thing when you just have someone who's at the top, who's overseen everything and doesn't have his attention divided to other projects that don't have to do with you know the superhero and comic book genre. So glad they got someone in place and someone who's had success with, you know, the genre he was in before, you know, with The Conjuring and horror stuff. And I'm not a horror guy, so I haven't seen any of those movies. But like I said, they've proven to be successful and just hopefully he can bring that to the DC movies because they really need it moving forward.
0: Yeah, um you see, uh, I wasn't originally gonna bring this up, Tim, but <laughs> the the DC films at Warner Brothers, it reminds me a lot of something that you don't know anything about. Uh, maybe Mark does, if he's listening to this. Um, it reminds me a lot of U.S. soccer. Okay, so. If you've paid attention to the sporting news, I guess, in the last year, I guess, right? The, the U.S. men's national team didn't qualify for the World Cup. They had a 90% okay. chance of qualifying for the World Cup, but they didn't. And they lost to Trinidad and Tobago. All they had to do was win. They are, they didn't even have to win. All they had to do was get a draw at Trinidad and Tobago, mm. who had lost their last seven games and at <laughs> the bottom of the table, right? Uh. They just had to get a draw and hope somebody lost. I think it was Mexico and Panama. It was it Pan- Mexico? No, I don't think – I can't remember the other team, but uh, I think Panama was – Panama had to lose – they just had to get a draw, and they couldn't even do that. And after the game, everybody, everybody from U.S. soccer was like, you know, th- there doesn't need to be any changes. You know, we, we, we got the system. We got the system. We know what we're doing. You know, it, it, we know how to win this. It's like, okay, you don't need restructuring, but why didn't you qualify for the World Cup? You had a 90% chance. I'm sorry, Tim, this makes me angry, right? <laughs> <laughs> More angry than uh, what's going on in DC films, but it's, it, it's a great comparison, trust me. <laughs> but you had a 90% chance of winning and all you had to do was draw. You know, you, all you had to do was draw. And you want to say that you know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry, you just don't. Um, you need help. You, you you have to get help with this. You know, it's it's not working. You you can't even qualify for the for the World Cup, even though you know it's it's a it's a ninety percent chance. It's almost guaranteed, Tim. That's almost guaranteed <laughs> that you will make the World Cup. And you cannot tell me that it's 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 a money thing because we put so much money into US soccer more than most countries in the world you can't tell me that it's money it's players it's it's this or that it's not that it's it's the fact that you don't know what you're doing you need help you need european help we put so much money into us soccer and what did we do we we built training facilities for these for these players and then you look at a country like germany Who didn't qualify, which was a real big embarrassment back in, I think it was like 2000 around that area. And what did they do? They didn't put money into the organization. They didn't put money into the training facilities. What they did was they built soccer pitches and they they built youth academies and they invested in educating their coaches. So what does that tell you? You know the 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 players don't need high high quality training facilities. They need to be playing with each other since they were kids. We need youth development, and those kids, those German kids that were part of that pro- program back in the early two thousands. What did they do in twenty fourteen? What did those kids do, because they because uh, the DFB, the, the the German league, they invested in those kids and they invested in those kids' coaches. They won the World Cup in 2014. Okay, so if if I, this isn't my comparison, I heard I heard I heard it someplace, but if Iceland, who you know has the population of Anaheim, California, could qualify for the World Cup. You know what what does that say about our system you know so mm-hmm. you need outside help you we need our players to go to our our, our kids our, our our kids in our youth systems to go to european academies and learn there because we don't have the youth academies that they do and so I guess what I'm trying to say saying, by saying going on this long rant about US soccer and the US men's <laughs> national team is the fact that DC films needs outside help. Right? So you think
1: instead of looking within, they should looking without maybe poach some people from Marvel. <laughs>
0: yeah, get somebody from Marvel. Like that. Get somebody from Marvel that knows what they're doing, knows how to run you know, a big franchise like this, instead of saying, "Oh, we know what we're doing," we know what we're doing. Gets gets get somebody's help, you know.
1: Mm. Which I'm um, hopefully they're realizing now that they're not saying we know what we're doing. Hopefully, the flop of Justice League <laughs> and its box office numbers prove that you know they do need help. And you know, hopefully, this the hiring of Walter Hamada is going to be that. But I kind of know what you're saying about outside help too. Which you know, kind of moving out of the comfort zone and stuff that didn't work. So I get what you're saying in that comparison. Yeah,
0: it's not only that; it's also the fact that you have Batman, you have Superman, and you have Wonder Woman. You know, you have these iconic characters. If you put out a movie, it's it's almost it's almost an automatic success that this movie is going to be great. But then you can't. but, But then you put out a movie, and it's not that. No, it's yeah, the same you can't thing. rely on their names and just their names it's the same thing with us soccer what's going on in us soccer and earlier last year the the women's national team uh, they they were saying that they should be paid more yeah, they not as not you know we should be paid more than the the men's national team but we should be paid more than what we're making right now and it's abundantly clear that they should because why they won the world cup so they're doing something right so they should be paid more but i'm sorry i just had to get that out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i i got the comparison you were making even though i pretty much know nothing about <laughs> soccer <laughs> so but i get where you're coming from
0: yeah I'm, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm done ranting, <laughs> Let's just move on to our next... Uh, it's uh, good to let it out, though, Dave. <laughs> uh, our first images and voice cast announced for Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay.
1: Yeah, so this is the next DC animated movie coming this year after Batman Gotham by Gaslight, which will be out in a few weeks, and I can't wait for it. But I was curious uh, what Suicide Squad, Hell to Play or Hell to Pay. <laughs> no, yeah, it's Hell to Pay. I first think it was Hell to Play, but... Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, what it was going to be about. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a typical Suicide Squad story. Is are like, looking for this mystical object, but they're going to be running into a bunch of other DC villains. They're going to be going up against kind of like a race to see who can get it first, which could be fun. But um, I don't know. I kind of wish they would have stepped away from the whole mystical aspect of it after, you know, that being such a disappointing plot line in the Suicide Squad movie. But hey, what are you going to do? Hopefully, if it's fun and entertaining, that would be good. But, the voice cast uh, i guess the big name is going to be playing or in this movie is going to be christian slater playing uh deadshot which should be uh, interesting but i could see him in the voice that he has pulling off a good dead shot and then uh i guess uh, one that i'm excited about is see thomas how repraising his role as zoom he played zoom in uh just with flashpoint paradox and i thought his voice was perfect for zoom and Eobarthon. so i'm looking forward to Having him play that character again, hopefully it's a big role, too, because I love his portrayal. Yeah, they just had a, a few images, one images of the team. You, know, you got Harley, Deadshot, and uh, Killer Frost, and Bronze Tiger is going to be part of the group, Captain Boomerang. And, you know, they look a little bit different, but kind of standard to Harley Quinn, again, has a different uh, type of outfit, but still invoking the Harley Quinn clown feel to it so it all works and then she's being voiced by tara strong again who you know has been voicing her for years now so yep uh wait gotta wait for a trailer to see i guess get a better feel for it but still good to get this info out and having a better idea what it's going to be because we were kind of wondering what just based on the title what this type of suicide squad movie is going to be but now that we got that information out of the way for suicide squad i can't wait to get the unveiling of the death of superman that's my most anticipated dc animated movie this year and just you know how if it's gonna how much it's gonna capture the look of the comic and it being split into two parts like the dark knight returns animated movie i'm just super excited so we got the unveiling of this year's two movies of gotham by gaslight and suicide squad hell to pay but just bring on the death of superman that's what i can't wait for so hopefully i won't have to wait too long to get the unveiling of that because yeah it's gonna be exciting
0: oh so you're excited for this uh movie
1: tim I, You didn't get that feeling when i was just geeking out about that right now
0: i I thought it was gonna be like a um what was that movie that uh the, the batman and harley quinn one yeah no
1: not my most disappointment <laughs> of 2017 <laughs> i don't think the depth of superman is gonna be that well no. if it is it's Yeah, I guess if I really don't like it, it would be the biggest disappointment of 2018 because (laughs) how excited I am for that movie. Yeah, it would be a major disappointment
0: if I do not like it. Let me see if I can compare this piece of news to the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's Uh, ways
1: if you really wanted to. uh,
0: I am hopeful for the future. Just like you are hopeful for this movie, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, I'll take that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay um, right so I guess we can move on to our conversation with Alex slash listener feedback and uh, do we have an email from Jordan
1: uh, yes yeah. we do oh we do we got one yeah we got him an email from Jordan kind of towards the end of 2017 so oh, okay. Uh, I'll go ahead and read that it says hey Tim and Dane and Alex and he starts off by uh, replying to what we talked about in our last episode about Warner Brothers reshuffling and all that stuff He goes, to me, that variety exclusive doesn't really seem like big news. It speculates on several things, but the only two things it really establishes definitely are, number one, John Berg is getting a promotion to his dream job. And two, some of the people working on DC Films are getting shiny new offices the next building over. That's all it really confirms. It says Jeff John's role in DC Films may evolve, but technically could mean he could wind up having a bigger role. In any case, a change to his role isn't certain yet. The DC animated film trailers just keep rolling out. Speaking of, there's a reason why I don't feel we can refer to the DCU AOM films as simply DC animated movies. That's because DC animated movies would technically also encompass a bunch of other DC animated films, such as the Lego one that I'm about to talk about. We got our first trailer for Lego DC superheroes, The Flash. It's funny because we were originally expecting to be getting a live action Flash movie in in early 2018, but instead we're getting an animated Flash film. To me, though, the trailer looks just okay. It starts out with Batman giving Ace a belly rub and making a voice that I never want to hear Batman make ever again, except I'm going to have to hear it again when I watch the movie, lol. That wasn't a good start. However, it does get better. The story seems pretty cool, with Reverse Flash traveling back in time to take away Flash's connection to the Speed Force and make him relive the same day over and over again. I wasn't impressed with the voice performance for Reverse Flash, though. He's rolling all his R's, and that seems like a really weird choice to me. It makes him less menacing. I will mention one more highlight of the movie, which is where Firestorm gets his shampoo switched out with a fire extinguisher. That was pretty funny. I'm looking forward to this film, but not quite as much as I wish I were. Yeah, I haven't seen the trailer for that yet. I know it's out there, and I probably should, but now I really want to because I want to hear that noise (laughs) Batman makes or that voice when he's uh, really... uh, or rubbing the belly of A's like it was. It had, that's not such of a strong impact on you, Jordan. I got to hear it from myself <laughs> to see if it really is something that I never want to hear again. Like you, but he continues saying, "Tim, I totally agree with the Deathstroke two part or Deathstroke two parter has been the highlight of Arrow season six so far. Well, other than maybe Crisis on Earth X, that is. Believe it or not, I haven't been very high on season six as a whole either, though." I think the problem for me might be that season five was so incredible that season six just isn't living up to it. Spoilers. There's not enough suspense or mystery. I'm not waiting with bated breath for each episode like I was last season. Last season, the mystery of who Prometheus was kept me so excited for each new episode through the first half of the season. And then in the second half of the season, I couldn't wait to see what he'd do next and to see more of Josh Segura's unbelievable acting performance in the role. This season just doesn't, didn't have any direction up until the end of the mid-season finale. But even then, that end reveal didn't have me all excited. My guess is that they're giving us an Arrow Legion of Doom, knowing that the only way they can possibly come up with a big bad that can live up to Prometheus is to not give us just one big bad, but a team of them. That's cool, but I still don't think they can match Prometheus. Look at last season's mid-season finale. It was one of the best Arrow episodes ever. It featured that incredible scene where Green Arrow went through the building atop which he had killed Justin Claiborne and Prometheus laid out bodies replicating all the people that the hood killed. It ended with Green Arrow killing Billy Malone and then an end stinger with Laurel and the bunker. Like, I remember last year how torturous the winter hiatus was waiting to find out who Prometheus was. What, he, what the fallout of Green Arrow killing Billy would be, and how on earth Laurel was in the bunker. I just didn't feel that way this year,
0: unfortunately. Hey Tim, can I ask you a question? Go for it. Okay, so uh, this is an Arrow question. We've been over this 10,000 10, times. Ah. Uh, so, Laurel isn't on Arrow anymore.
1: No, not the one from the first four seasons. She's dead. But they
0: have a new Black
1: Canary. They have a new Black Canary, yes. Her name is Dinah Drake, but they have Laurel from Earth, uh, two, I believe, is the Earth that where she's bad, and she's a bad guy now this season. And her uh, title is Black Black Siren, not Black Canary. So there is a Laurel, but it's an evil Laurel from Earth two. <laughs> okay, so but, but we do have a black, different Black Canary, like you said, who <laughs> is Dinah Drake.
0: So the actress that plays Laurel plays this Laurel that's the earth 2 laurel that's evil yes Mm. okay that is is so confusing tim
1: i will just say all this black canary stuff was so unnecessary and i've said it before i think they messed up the whole storyline and character of black canary with all the getting different versions out there so (laughs) i won't retread those waters
0: again but so so why did they go to earth 2
1: uh, that had to deal with The Flash because oh. the main villain in Season 2 was Zoom from Earth 2. And then uh, Barry, Sisko and other members of Team Flash went went over there. And uh, Zoom brought Black Styron over from Earth 2 during that season of The Flash. So, And then she just kind of had recurring appearances and now is a regular character this season. So that's her explanation. But Jordan, I agreed with... Every single word you said there about Arrow Season 6, you nailed it, especially how great Season 5 has been. And Season 6 just not living up to that, especially when it comes to the villains. And I totally agree with what you said, how it seems like to match Prometheus, the only way to do that is to bring a bunch of lesser villains together, which, you know, we've seen before in the CW universe. Just last season on Legends of Tomorrow, where they had their Legion of Doom. So, um, yeah, just not quite living up to what made Season
0: 5 so great. But hopefully it gets better in the second half. We'll see. Okay, so, just so we're clear on this, there is a new Black Canary, not played yes. by the original Laurel actress. Correct. She's not Laurel Lance. Correct. She is Dinah Drake. Correct. Uh, the Laurel, the actress that played Laurel, plays Laurel, Earth to Laurel. Correct. <laughs> and finally oliver is still with felicity
1: unfortunately
0: correct okay.
1: <laughs> in fact they're married now they're married they got married yeah.
0: uh, is, don't is, give me um, started on that
1: well they why, pretty much why they they butted into barry and iris's wedding and they decided to get married too which was so so dumb <laughs> why
0: i mean like what what, what? What was the context of it? Of it, it was
1: after that? the whole crossover with the Crisis on Earth X, the yeah. crossover they do with every series this year, and the whole theme of it was they were attending Barry and Iris's wedding, but you know they got invaded by Earth X, their doppelgangers, they had to take them down. So uh, Barry and Iris just you know wanted to hurry up and officially get married, and they had a, like this small ceremony where Diggle married them, and Felicity and Oliver were you know presents as I guess the maid of honor and best man. And throughout that story, Oliver, you know, seeing Barry and Iris so happy getting married, he thought, you know, maybe this is time for him and Felicity to get married. But Felicity didn't want to get married. She didn't want to ruin what they had. Yeah. But the experiences <laughs> they had with this crossover made her realize, you know, they better do it. And so while Diggle was marrying Barry and Iris in their ceremony, Felicity just stupidly says, I want to get married, too. Let's do it right now, blah, blah, blah. So they, you know, shoehorned in on Iris and Barry's big moments. Ugh, oh. It was so dumb. <laughs>
0: So so is it like a thing where um uh, what is it called like uh it, is it a thing where it's like okay now we're married we're happy but then there's some undercurrents like we're not happy and then we're going to break sure up and we're going to divorce yeah. and
1: I'm sure that'll happen eventually because you know we can't have a CW show without relationship drama so
0: <laughs> yeah it's like i mean i mean especially smallville where it's like for that, for that entire 10 seasons, 10 years of that show, it was pretty much just Clark looking up, looking at Lana from afar. From afar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did move out of Smallville in the later
1: half, so he wasn't exactly in the bar the whole
0: time. <laughs> yeah, it was still like the, 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 the Lana thing was still there, right? For the most part, was until he moved on to Lois. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. They, Which was like the had, last had three or that. four seasons, I will say, yeah. when
1: they started their relationship.
0: And was he still thinking about like, oh, you know, I remember when Lana and I. <laughs> I don't think so. Not too much. If memory serves me right. So, so how did she? Now, I don't mean to keep sidetracking us with just <laughs> <she> random tangents <laughs> and about the CW and stuff. But I have seen the pilot of Smallville. And Lana had the, the kryptonite necklace, right? And that's why yeah. Clark couldn't go around her or he felt yeah. sick around her. How did – did she take it off or something after that or –
1: No, some haven't I think we even talked about this in one of Jordan's emails about what exactly happened to that. But yeah, (laughs) even right now I'm having trouble remembering what happened to that.
0: Well, well, I mean don't even try to to remember They
1: did explain it though. I know there is a reason for it. So not to look back at Jordan's emails (laughs) when he explained it to us.
0: Yeah, but that's kind of weird. Like you have your two main love interests and like they – can't go near each other so like they 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 couldn't go near each other throughout that show until she took it <laughs> off.
1: yeah well uh, and she did wear a lot but I don't, obviously wasn't all the time or else yeah. like you said they'd be apart <laughs> for most of the series so i'm sure they had stories explanations for that i just
0: can't remember okay oh. all right all right so um this is gonna be a really big tangent tim uh, Are you sure so, we got time <laughs> um but i uh, I wanted to bring mark on oh right now, yeah, oh cool he's on <laughs> yeah yeah he yeah he's on right now, and I just wanted to uh he 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 wanted to defend d c films because I told him i i compared uh uh the d c films to u s soccer uh-huh. and he wanted to defend uh um DC Films. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you... Do you, do you have his uh, Skype?
1: Yeah, let me, let me try bringing him on yeah. here, right here. See if he joins in. Yeah, because I saw he just got in on Skype, so... Yeah. He must be really it Mark.
2: Hello. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can yes, hear you. Yes, we can.
1: <laughs> How's it going, Mark?
2: Uh... I'm doing very well. I'm just sitting here and holding a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, so. I got the...
0: uh, go ahead. No, no, I, I,
2: I'm I'm ready, my man.
0: I'm okay. ready. So, I com I, er, earlier in the podcast, I compared U.S. soccer to DC Films, saying that they're one and the same, where they need outside help. You know, they they they, they can't keep on. Saying, "Oh, we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing," and then you don't qualify for the World Cup, and then you release Justice League, and then you have to restructure, just like, <laughs> just j- just like how uh, DC Films is restructuring um, their corporate offices or whatever, right? So, so how are you going to defend that?
2: Um, you know what, Dane? I, uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I have to kind of agree with you now. Really, I'm after you kind of expl- after you explained yourself so okay, um, I agree yeah, I know that the DC office uh, DC studios are bringing in the people from uh, that did like The Conjuring and um, yeah. one of those other movies like The Conjuring verse that James Wan's done I think that's a really good move to bring in someone who keeps pumping out quality movies low budget movies that people like and and whatnot and you know, US men's national team definitely needs to get new blood. You know, Christian Psulich was, you know, just interviewed and said that the US youth the men's youth system is horrible. You know, and that if you want a chance you gotta to go to Europe. So we gotta keep our movies in America.
0: <laughs> right. So you actually agree with me that the that US soccer is like D C films where they need outside help they they can't just be doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and then you you don't qualify for the world cup and then you don't release a good movie that you know makes billions of dollars right mm-hmm. cuz i think that's what they expected they expected to at least get close to the billion dollar mark right like maybe like 100,000 Yeah, 000, eight yeah eight, i think eight, they were hoping for bvs style money Right and was right. the
1: movie was yeah Batman Superman Wonder Woman Flash Aquaman I think it's safe to say they were expecting a billion and it probably should have made a billion.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 um, I mean, how much money do you think was added to the budget with the Joss Whedon resho- reshoots? You know, exactly. Uh, it's just fattening up the bill. You know, you just keep adding. You know, adding on dessert after dinner and before you know it, your bill's out of control.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, that, so, and that's a great way to put it. I mean, was there a restructuring because uh, because of the fact that it they had to go back and reshoot and add more money onto this or was it just because it didn't even near sure. the 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 billion dollar mark?
2: Well, this is what I think really happened and this is what some of the the news kind of stated was that people did not like BVS and the people in charge at Warner brothers kept moving forward with Zack Snyder and And the Zack Snyder army bizarro world that exists on Twitter does not represent most of the movie going people. And, um, I think when they saw what he was doing with justice league, they're like, they were just, this is horrible. This is unwatchable. What did we do? I think the people that were initially engaged with uh, that started the process for Justice League were removed and they brought in Joss Whedon and and the other people to make a watchable movie, you know, and then um, when done and dusted, you know, let Star Wars come out and start changing things up. And that's something that I read was like they saw the writing on the wall with BVS, and they they stayed with it,
1: you know. Yeah, and It was like too he said late was to stop Taylor. the wheels were returning and all that stuff. They're already in motion and it was like too late to stop it now <laughs> type of thing. With still having yeah. Zack Snyder on board. And the
2: thing is, they could have stopped it after BVS saying mm. Zack Snyder has delivered two divisive um, DC movies with Man of Steel and BVS. People don't like it. Why would anybody get excited about Justice League? And Wonder Woman was contained enough. You know, my wife went and saw... Uh, Wonder Woman loved it. Wanted to see Justice League because Wonder Woman was in it and was like, what is this? Like, what did I just see? Mm-hmm. This is not congruent. So, you know, and she doesn't really care about superheroes, but, you know, she knows who Gal Gadot is now because of Wonder Woman and the, these self-contained movies. And, you know, kind of what Rick Shu says on, you know, on, on film, I think it is smart to kind of keep these movies a little more self-contained going forward. Cause that's, you know, I, I think Aqu- Aquaman is going to work because the guy in charge of it, James Wan, he hasn't made a really a bad movie yet. And it seems like they're leaving him alone. And I think we're not going to really know anything else until Aquaman comes out and they brought in the conjuring people, you know, like the next conjuring movie that comes out is the nun, and that's going to be a self-contained movie. So I think that's, um, I think that's what we're going to see going forward.
0: Yeah, just as long as Aquaman doesn't every every single piece of dialogue out of his mouth isn't doesn't, doesn't end with a yeah, let's go, let's do this and you know, <laughs> <woo-hoo's> and <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it's going to be a little bit more deep sea terror than what we're what we got, and I think James Wan's going to be very James Wan-y. To make a really corny uh, analogy, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I trust James Wan and I think James Wan it has enough clout to walk away from a movie that he didn't want to make. Right, right. If he was like, y'all need to get out of my way and they didn't, he'd be like, all right, I got the nun to go make, all right, you go find someone else to make Aquaman. I think they let him, I think they really let him make his Aquaman movie. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's Which is true. what
1: they need to do going forward for all the directors for the movie. Just let them do their thing and be on the stage page from the get go and not later on. <laughs> like when, yeah. And think about it. Of the Warner
2: Brothers, you know, they made a lot of money, but they made a lot of money off of Wonder Woman and it. Yeah. So both movies made ridiculous amounts of money. It what cost thirty five million dollars to make. That's it. That movie saved Warner. I mean, didn't save. I mean, Warner Brothers had other money making properties, but you know, it really. You know, they ran to the. You know, they ran to the bank with it, and Wonder Woman. So,
1: made them handle. I guess didn't make the loss of what they had on Justice League. (laughs) I guess a little more bearable with the success that those two had, like you said. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, a bad movie in Justice League made six hundred plus million dollars worldwide. What was it? Seven hundred now? Maybe I don't know, but.
1: Yeah, a, sure I forgot
2: uh, that You way. know, if this was a Valiant or Dark Horse property, whatever studio made it, it'd be out of business.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But with with that said, uh, I was texting with Tim, and I, th- I I read somewhere that yeah, I mean, it was, Justice League wasn't was a success, but I think compared to the Last Jedi, right? The The Last Jedi had a smaller budget, but they they made more money than justice league did in like the same amount of in, in less time.
1: Yeah. I was going to say definitely less time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in less time. And like, I, I just don't understand that, you know, it's it. So, so, so like it has to be the quality of the movie, right? It, it has to be like your wife who saw, um, Wonder Woman and then she saw justice league and then it's like, okay, it was, what is this and why is it, why is it not good? You know?
2: Absolutely. It's because they made a Frankenstein movie,
0: yeah. you know,
2: and, um, it, it was cut up and it was not congruent. And the Batman saying, all oh, I think something's bleeding. What is that garbage? You know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I actually laughed at that. I thought
2: that was good. I mean, I laughed at it too, <laughs> but it was one of those moments that I'm being a little harsh right now. Uh, I'll tone it back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, say how you feel, Mark. (laughs) I had a lot of smiles while I watched it. And then it was like it wasn't like a fine line. It didn't age well. You know? It when I when I went home and I sat about when I thought about it, I'm like, do I even want to see this a second time? No, it's not worth my money. You know. I'll get I'll get ready for the next thing. And unfortunately, you know, with life changes, going even to see Star Wars, which I really want to see a second time, you know, I think I think that helps, but you know, I struggled with The Last Jedi initially. And it and it, the more I've listened to podcasts and and thought about it, got better. But that's a kind of a movie that makes you think. Justice League was a movie that made you go, hmm. And, well, you know, and I, hate, I don't like saying it. You know, DC is my property. I don't get excited about Marvel stuff. I don't. I, I don't resonate with the characters. You'll never see me on Twitter or whatever in my life. Talking trash about it because they're good movies. They have a they have a vision and they know what they're doing, and I can respect that.
1: No, I mean yeah. <laughs> you're nailing it right there. Like you said, none of us want to be talking about the struggles of DC movies. And like I said all the time before too, as much as I enjoyed Justice League, there's no denying what a disappointment the box office and effects it had on the movies going forward is. I mean, everything is kind of in flux right now we're getting a few movies coming like we said which uh aquaman and shazam just got a release date for 2019 so stuff is still happening it's just a shame that they just can't stick to one you know set plan that they had from the get-go things always keep changing with you know the divisiveness and you know unsuccessful box office numbers for some of these movies that are coming out which you know was a shame and hopefully if anything justice league will be it for that <laughs> like we said hopefully we talked about earlier they're going to they would learn from this and saying how not everything is not OK. We know what we're doing, but they're going to take this in stride and move forward to make sure they get this right. And I agree with what you said, Mark, about uh, the hiring of uh, the new uh, producer in charge of DC Films, Walter Hamada. It seems like a good move to bring someone in who has a successful track record with the franchise even though, you know, superhero genre could be totally different from the horror genre, just that someone who's had success to be in charge of it, hopefully, and just a single voice guiding the direction moving forward should be what they need instead of, you know, not being happy <laughs> with the director and uh, the st- studio producers meddling in different projects and all that just, you know, creates more of a mess. So. Hopefully this is, you know, I want it so bad for me the last time we're talking about the struggles of a DC movie. Hopefully Justice League was the culmination of that and we could just move on to bigger and better things.
2: Absolutely. And I agree. And, and going back to Dane's U.S. men's national team thing, you know, they just need to bring a bunch of Germans in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. the US men's national team, go get Jakob Love and... You know, some German banker dude to run it and restructure it and bring in new blood out with the old and with the new. You know, that's what needs to happen with the US national team, and and, um, that's what needs to happen with DC, which is what they're doing. Um, My wife loves the Conjuring movies; she loves them. She is more into that than I am into DC right now. I mean, she enjoys those movies. She she likes. Um, Vera Faminga and wants to see Vera Faminga movies because of those and um, I know the first Annabelle movie was bad but look they redeemed themselves and made a really good Annabelle creation movie that was scary as hell and uh, the new Nun movie looks like it's going to be fantastic as well and uh, you know just you know uh, maybe they they can bring in Antonio Conte to run the US Men's (laughs) National Team and inject a little crazy into our lives you know
0: I don't think that (laughs) whatever whatever is needed i say at this point because that was embarrassing (laughs) that was embarrassing
1: um well, Mark, I gotta say I'm yeah. glad Dane texted you about that and then you're able to jump on because while I got his point of what he was trying to make with the comparison, I am not a soccer guy <laughs> I didn't, you know, know too much of like the scenarios, what's going on in soccer, but yeah, I'm glad you're able to understand it better that comparison.
2: Yeah, let's put it in baseball terms, we don't wanna do any type of Derek Jeter yeah. <laughs> you can let me break up a team and sell people and boss people around with money that's not even mine. So uh.
1: Uh, and give yeah, Giancarlo cool. Stanton to the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> which, you know, I'm
2: both excited like and one nervous You're like one of the most <laughs> like, genuinely nice people I've come across. And you, as a Yankees fan, deserve Stanton. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I appreciate that. I am excited for the first few years, but I'm already knowing those last few years of that big contract, it's going to be. They struggle and A. Rod all over again, <laughs> or they can't yeah, wait for absolutely. it to end.
2: You know, maybe he can go serve Cracker Jackson stand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll release him again, but still pay him all that money, <laughs> just like they did A. Rod in his final year.
2: <laughs> maybe you can have like a Cuban cigar store at the stadium, <laughs> and you know, do customer relations. I, I'd, I'd fly to New York for that. <laughs>
1: uh, that's awesome. Well, we're, we're in the middle of. Uh, reading some listener emails doing some comic book re- reviews, Mario. I don't know if you're busy and wanted to stay on with us or whatnot, or if you had to go, but <laughs> you're uh-huh. welcome to stay and continue on the show with us <laughs>
2: right I will first off, I'd like to apologize as you know the show is named after me on twitter, <laughs> and um I have not um been good at sending emails in and it makes me sad sometimes when uh when I see y'all's show pop up on my you know feed to listen to and you know things are starting to settle down with the twins and i can get a little bit like just now you know i can pop up here in a minute no problem but uh yeah man just you know i probably got ahead here in a couple minutes but um you know i get what you were saying about metal four i don't know if you've already talked about that or not but uh, just about to get
1: into that actually
2: (laughs) yeah no yeah i mean I had problems with it, but I, you know, I'm going to trust Scott Snyder. Yeah, you know, what's up with these Snyders, right? Doing big and crazy divisive things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. but I, I love Scott, Scott Snyder. And, uh, and I, I'm this, this Tom King, Batman, Catwoman stuff is phenomenal. The double date. Yes. Uh, what was it? 36 and 37. Yeah. Uh, probably some of the best comics I've read in a long time. I love the dynamic. I love the Clayman art. Um, It's a good time to be a Batman and DC comic fan for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then Doomsday Clock going on right now. I don't know if you've read those first two issues, but... Yes, I
2: I have. And uh, I'm all
1: about it. Yep. See, that's one of my... I'm going to get into this when we get into Dark Knight's Metal, where I think Doomsday Clock's kind of taking away the thunder of Dark Knight's Metal as an event going on because it just... So much bigger, and I think just a better story being told right now. When yeah, well, you, you can follow. Metal. I mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah, good. I can't.
2: I can't go back and give you a, a general synopsis of one through four metal. I have no clue.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's
2: it's, a great it's point. It's dense. <laughs> it needs to be read and trade. You know, it's pretty to look at. Um, I think it's a fantastic original concept, and and I trust it will deliver fine. But you know what? That's a good problem to have. DC has two major events going on that are both high quality and they're not, and that are not disrupting the continuity of the regular comics, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that is like the critique of the new 52 flipped over right now. You know, that's the antithesis of, you know, what we were dealing with every September from the new 52. Yeah. (laughs) It got bogged down and let's do the forever evil and let's do the, the future thingy that they did, you know, and mm. future's in yeah you know and we're still getting our good you know it looks like things are a little delayed with batman right now big with michael jannon's new arc but uh you know i'm fine and and with that and mr miracle's been phenomenal so
1: yeah but, on the comic front things are extremely well for dc <laughs> That's, yeah, we you know we agree on that
2: dc needs to up its game with the evil empire, Disney, t- overtaking everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's kind of how I feel about it with them getting. I don't know how I feel about aliens being part of Disney. You know, it's Disney's newest princess, I guess. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: the queen is going
2: to do it. Whatever comes out of that egg thing of hers. It's the new Disney princess, right? Uh, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I stole that. I saw that on Twitter. So I wish I was smart enough to come up with that. But um, yeah, you know, that's that. I mean, I could go on for that. I mean, you know, for hours and I don't want to disrupt the flow of your show for tonight. So
1: (laughs) no, well, it was appropriate that you came on this episode, Mark, because, as you know, every year we have a new title for our episode for the year. And 2017 was Mark Tiberius Lemke, Chicago Blackhawks fans. And this was (laughs) the last episode with that title. So it's fitting that you are here for the final one with that name. So.
2: Well, it's a, it's an honor. I, I miss you guys. I appreciate you guys. You're still ground zero for a podcast for me. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. You guys are some of my two favorite people and you know, maybe Lewis and Rinke will be coaching Chelsea next week. Who knows? But <laughs> Dane, I don't know. Dane. I got thoughts. I, I sent a rant to the London is blue podcast. So let's see if it gets on there. Oh, well, well, what was the uh, cliff notes of it? Um, what what else does Antonio Conte have to do? He's coached Juve, he's coached the Italian national team. Now he's at Chelsea. Who else is going to want him as a hothead that can't stay somewhere for a couple of years? Maybe maybe PSG. That's the only move I could see him make.
0: No, nah, not 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 PSG. Not not. I, I don't think the way he plays. Yeah, yeah. Maybe who knows? Yeah.
2: Maybe like a German. Abu Dhabi is crazy to
0: do it. maybe like a german team i don't know (laughs) yeah (laughs) well right on guys yeah thank you for coming on mark uh and and actually agreeing with me and my u.s soccer thing
2: (laughs) (laughs) i know uh uh, dane i see what you're doing and there is uh, a lot of value and let's bring in the germans
0: (laughs) right right yeah all right mark well, well, thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll let you get back to your your twins. Uh, right on. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you need me in the future, it's
2: a lot easier to get on now. You know, they're, right, cool. they're eight months now, and that's a lot easier to deal with than newborns. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah, I we'll can definitely, imagine. <laughs> we'll definitely have you right on, on at guys. some point. So. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Y'all thanks, have
2: Mark. a great night. Great. All right, Mark. Yeah, take care.
1: Peace out later well yeah, that was a cool surprise dane yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i just texted him and he was like oh do you, do you want me to come on and i was like uh yeah if you can if, if you can defend uh, the u.s soccer <laughs> <laughs> the dc club franchise but like i i didn't know he'd actually agree with me so that's good
1: it, it did make sense. Like I said, yeah, I didn't get all the references you're making right. with the U.S. soccer, but yeah, it, it was better worth Mark having it <laughs> to <laughs> make the scenario yeah. apply even better. So uh, I guess with that, we can get back into Jordan's email. Like yeah. you said, I guess you're right. Dana. It was a long tangent, but <laughs> <laughs> it was still a fun discussion worth having. But right. As we alluded to about Dark Knight's Metal, that's what Jordan's net stop it in his email is. He goes, Dark Knight's Metal number four didn't really do it for me. Spoilers, at this point, I've kind of accepted that this event isn't for me. It's just too out there for my taste. I found myself confused so much during DC Metal. This issue is a little more straightforward than some of the previous ones, but it's still just not my jam. There were some isolated moments that I liked, though. The scene with Aquaman and Deathstroke was a lot of fun, and I found it very powerful when Batman told Superman about how the Robins give him hope. Although I wish he had mentioned something about Catwoman, too, especially given what's going on in the solo title right now. So again, I completely agree with you here, Jordan. What I was talking about with Mark, Dark Knight's Metal Four, it, it's starting to lose me too. It's just, yeah, a little bit too out there. The story is not grabbing me like I was hoping to. It's like there's a lot of stuff. It's re- pretty much in the vein of a Grant Morrison event where you gotta look back at previous stories and different histories, which you know can be, you know, sometimes confusing and a little. You know a little strenuous as far as you know how much you want to invest into a story especially when there's so much out there and like i said with doomsday clock now that's the bigger event in my opinion and i'm kind of surprised dc didn't space them out a little bit to let dark knight's metal finish but yeah it's not especially with number four i think it's actually maybe one of the, probably my least favorite issue of the series so far So I'm going to continue with it, see how it all wraps up. Hopefully it will end on a good note. But like you said, pretty much the best part about number four, in my opinion, was just the Batman and Superman stuff. And the stuff of what he mentioned about Robin was pretty cool, too. So I'm in agreement with you. So hopefully it it ends on a good note and picks up for, you know, makes it a little more contained (laughs) with the subsequent issues. But we'll see. But speaking of said solo title, as Jordan continues, Batman 37 is what I'm really excited to talk about. Tom King's Batman run is the exact opposite of DC metal. It feels like it's absolutely for me and 100% works for my taste. I never laughed harder reading a comic book than I did reading Batman 37. Spoilers. The 1st Batcat double date was everything I could have hoped for. The interactions between both Bruce and Clark and Selina and Lois were a blast to read. The couple switching costumes to gain entry into superhero night was brilliant. This issue was a night at the fair that I never wanted to end. It's another one for the ages by King that fills my Batcat heart with joy. Oh, and that Oliver, the Olivier uh, Chompeau Batcat variant cover is beautiful. Yeah, Batman number thirty-seven, uh, fantastic, <laughs> as Jordan said. I love the premise of them going on a double date out of fair, but it was Superhero Night, so they had to dress in each other's costumes. Batman was uh, Superman, Superman was Batman, and then um, Selena dressed up as Lois's outfit. and blow us dressed up as Catwoman, just tons of great interactions and probably my favorite part of it was there was a lingering question going on throughout the issue could batman hit a pitch thrown by superman at high speed and i just love that idea and then at the final i think the final page of the issue was batman and clark or superman testing out that question superman throws a fastball And the issue ends with Batman hitting it and you see it flying into the stands (laughs) or at least into the batting cage where they were at. It was just a great moment and just another, I guess, notch for Batman to have on Superman, knowing that he can hit his fastball. (laughs) So I agree. It was just great. Again, the dynamic and the scenarios we're getting with Batman and Catwoman being engaged is paying off really, really well. We're just getting great stories here. So, yeah, I agree with you again, Jordan. That was fantastic. And he continues saying, to answer your question, Tim, I had a couple of issues with Superman's return in Justice League. I knew I was going to have at least one issue going into the film. Resurrections are a trope of the superhero genre that I can't stand. Now I've got to direct some of my disappointment towards them adapting the death and return of Superman at Batman v Superman. They knew they had the first ever live action Justice League film coming just a year later. They knew Superman needed to be in it, and therefore they knew they'd be resurrecting him very soon after killing him. So why kill him? Even if they had waited 10 movies before resurrecting Superman, it still would have bothered me. But it is made even worse when they do it so soon after killing him as they did. However, they could have made it at least somewhat powerful for me as a viewer had Danny Elfman used Hans Zimmer's Superman theme when resurrecting Superman. They did use it very briefly when the League was getting ready to resurrect Superman, but we didn't hear it at all after that. They didn't even play it at the Kent farm in the trailer. Or like in the trailer, the Man of Steel score is my favorite score of all time. I find it remarkably moving. Using it would have added so much emotion to his resurrection that otherwise was lacking for me. So uh, I get where you're coming from, Jordan, on that point. And I do agree where I think they shouldn't have even killed Superman at all. It was too soon. But yeah, I would have waited. And we going into that, we kind of knew it. So I just kind of had to accept it for what it was. But I understand where you're coming from as far as that being a disappointment. And as always, he goes, he has a couple of questions. He says, they're TV-related since we're on a hiatus, and I miss the DC TV shows right now, so I apologize to Dane in advance. Uh, his first question is, who are your top five favorite villains as they have been, been, been portrayed on Gotham? I bring this up because I have been so impressed with Professor Pig this season, and it got me thinking about how many incredible villain performances we've gotten on the show. Really?
0: it been read. that good. Uh, it okay. has.
1: I'll, I'll get to that after I read his choices but well, i'll get into that and tell you yeah. why <laughs> he goes i'll reiterate or reiterate that selena kyle doesn't count as a villain although if i were counting her she'd be of course be number one spoilers number five the riddler Corey michael smith has delivered the sly cunning intelligent riddler i've been waiting so long to see in live action he really makes riddler menacing throughout his through his intellect number four scarecrow when he returned in the beginning of the season they really played it like a horror film his costume and his voice were both incredibly frightening. Number three, Victor Zaz. Anthony Kerrigan somehow makes Zaz both incredibly creepy and also quite humorous at the same time. I'd be on I'd be on edge every time I were in a room with him, and yet I'd also probably chuckle at a lot of things he'd say. His standout scene for me is one from season one and when he went to the G C P D going after Gordon for Falcone. Number two, Professor Pig. I've long I've long felt that Professor Pig was one of the most underrated Batman villains. He's one of the few things to come out of Grant Morrison's run that I loved. He is the best example of how Gotham has given me great versions of Batman villains who I wasn't sure, or I wasn't sure when I see ever seen in live action. Michael uh, Cerveris gives a spine tingling performance, and the scene where he snapped and revealed his true self to Gordon reminded me so much of Edward Norton in Primal Fear. Number one, Jerome Valeska. The most miraculous thing about Jerome is that it infuriates me that he is running around terrorizing Gotham before Bruce has become Batman, and yet he still manages to rank number one on my list. It has everything to do with Cameron Monahan's performance. He takes elements from several different Joker performances over the years to craft an awesome original blend of his own. He's absolutely terrifying, and he gives me chills every time he's on screen. I also love how they eventually gave him that terrifying Death of the Family look. The tease of him at the end of his mid-season finale he had me literally screaming. Yeah, so my picks, and first off, I agree, Jordan, I, I mean, I think I could probably say Gotham has been the best of the comic TV shows I'm watching this year <laughs> out of the CW ones. It's been the most entertaining and story, the season arc that it's having with uh, Sophia Falcone trying to take over the crime, uh, crime families in Gotham and to, to snuff out Penguin as being the crime lord there. And, like, the stuff with Gordon being involved in the middle there, it's it's actually been really good. And Professor Pig, he's been one of the better portrayals of a Batman villain on this show. The way he looks, he talks, it's, like Jordan said, just straight out of Grant Morrison's comics. So, they really did a good job with Professor Pig. Um, but for my list... I'd go number five, Victor like for the reasons you said. It's, just a, it's a different portrayal. I mean, he doesn't even use knives yet, but it's a, a character you like seeing on screen when he's on there because of his you know, charismatic ways that he does things. Number four, I'll agree with you on that one, with that being Scarecrow. They did a great job, especially with his look and how they portrayed the fear of Gaz. So that was, that was a pleasant surprise this season of how well they did Scarecrow. The number three, I'm going to go to Professor Pig. I would have had him higher... For, for the reasons I said, but I felt the reveal they had at the midseason finale where they killed him off and pretty much he was just a puppet of Sophia Falcone kind of brought him down a little bit. I loved what they did early on, like I said, straight from Grant Morris and stuff, and wish they would have maintained that. So that was a disappointment I had, which is why he kind of bumped down to number three. Number two, I'm going to go with Penguin i just love robin lord taylor's performance as penguin it gets better and better each season this, this the rises that he gets to reach the top of the crime bosses in gotham and then to see him fall and then to come back up and just the way he plans things and outsmarts this competition is always so well done so especially when he gets mad too it's always an entertaining scene when you see penguin just yelling at somebody that he sped up with so i just really love his portrayal as penguin then I'm going to agree with you, Jordan. Number one being Jerome. It, I mean, it shouldn't be this good because, like you said, Joker shouldn't even be involved in any shape or form at this point in Batman's life. But his performance is so good as a Joker. You just cannot help but wish he was actually playing a full blown Joker. It is that good. The, like you said, the actor Cameron Monaghan does a fantastic job. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing him when it comes back from his midseason break. So, yeah, things are actually looking pretty good for Gotham, surprisingly to say. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been the show I've been enjoying most this season. But here we are.
0: Is um, is uh, man, I forget her name already. Um, Will, Will Smith's uh, wife, uh, oh. Jada Pickensmith. It, no, is, no. is she still on the show, or no? Her go? character was finally killed off last season. Didn't she come back or something? Yeah, like, hmm.
1: came back and then they killed her off again. Which is fine. I never really enjoyed her character. <laughs> the <laughs> show was better when she wasn't involved
0: with being the main crime boss. There, you know, I'm kind of surprised that, um, and I don't don't mean this in a bad way, and I don't want this to happen, but I'm surprised the show hasn't been canceled mm-hmm. because. I don't think a lot of people are watching it.
1: It's got to be doing good enough, I guess, <laughs> I mean yeah. it's the last four seasons. I know it kind of has a bad reputation amongst Batman fans, but... Oh, yeah. Once you, yeah. I guess for maybe those who are casual fans are just, you know, yeah. get brought in and intrigued with the story and the characters they have. And for us, Batman fans like me, who still watch it, you just kind of accept it for what it is and still get some entertainment out of it, even though they do plenty of stuff that makes you roll your eyes or just, like, how can... They do something so different, but you just gotta know what it is going when you watch it which you know helps helps me anyway when I watch
0: it and enjoy some of the stuff especially what they're doing now I still think they should now here's my idea for a TV show right a DC uh, Batman TV show have sort of the Wayne's in the background and Uh then focus it on um the GCPD make it like a police pursuit. Uh, procedural Mm -hmm. you know just have the Wayne's in the background and all have all that craziness of Batman and the 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 rogues gallery and all of that in the background but then make it like you know they have to find the killer you know sort of thing Mm -hmm. rather than just you know having you know what they're doing in Gotham where it's like they're bringing in all these villains because it's not so fun if you have Bruce Wayne in a show and he's like almost Batman and there's none of his villains there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so
1: no, that's the idea. I think everyone thought it was going to be going into yeah. it, but it just went full blown into Batman mythology. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like, let's have Pretty poison Ivy too. in the show. It's half, professor pig let's have joker let's have riddler let's have penguin and all of these guys
1: mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> they're just gonna keep adding it seems like i don't think they're gonna stop now even though they're pretty much used everybody so yeah. they're not gonna have much left
0: but. yeah just let me know when they get to um who's a good villain um just let me know when they get to calendar man <laughs> will do I'm surprised I haven't used him yet to be honest <laughs> yeah I no, he's like a small enough villain where it's yeah. like you know it, it could fit right yeah oh, I Man's think he would fit old. too yeah.
1: yeah and you know he fits in with the Falcone fam- family oh, drama with yeah. long Halloween too It's part of that so yeah just um,
0: let, let me know when Calendar Man's on this
1: show <laughs> <laughs> will do <laughs> then Jordan's final question oh, is oh wait you-
0: I'm sorry oh Is uh, Mr. Freeze on that show?
1: He just pops up here and there. He's like one of Penguin's Benjamin. And he's already Mr. Freeze? Yeah, he's Mr. Freeze. (laughs) Uh,
0: I don't know about that, Tim.
1: Yeah, it was actually a pretty good story in season two, but again, just happening way too soon.
0: (laughs) Was it better now, Tim? Tim, was it better than Heart of Ice?
1: Oh heck no! What <laughs> I mean, a silly question. But it was better than Scott Snyder's revamped story for Mister oh, Freeze. Uh, <laughs> to bring Did that you, up again, <laughs>
0: you know, we just had Mark on. It was a great, great talking to him. And now it's the end of the show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm emailing Dustin right now. Sorry, we can't do it anymore. Creative differences. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the line you got to use. Yeah. But. <laughs> Everyone else in Hollywood uses it, so I can't podcast <laughs> either. <use> <laughs> uh, but he says, How would you rank the four Arrowverse shows this mid season at the midseason mark this year? For me, I'm gonna go number four, Legends of Tomorrow. This has been the strongest season to date so far, but it is still at the bottom of the pile for me. It's closer to the other shows than it has ever been though. I just don't have the emotional investment in it that I do the other shows. This is the show that I just kick back, turn off my brain, relax, and enjoy. This season has really leaned into its strengths, the absolutely bonkers humor, and it's benefited from doing so. Heatwave continues to be one of my favorite characters in the entire Arrowverse. Number 3, Arrow. This is the lowest it has ever been at the mid-season point on my last or ranking or in my list ranking in the Arrowverse. That for me, or that's sad for me because it is overall my favorite of the Arrowverse shows. I already went into detail about Arrow early in my email, so I won't go into much detail here. I do like the season, but it just hasn't lived up to my expectations. I loved almost all the Arrow characters so much, and the Deathstroke 2 part was incredible, so this season has certainly had those things going for it. Number two, The Flash. This season, the show has gone back to the more lighthearted tone of season one. I'm loving it, although I was also a fan of the darker tone of season three personally. The Thinker is a fascinating villain so far. They have made him somewhat sympathetic by giving him an interesting backstory that ties back into season one. A secondary villain I'm loving is um, Amunet Black. Katie Sakoff chooses the scenery in every scene she's in. Elongated Man is hilarious. is a hilarious addition to the show. He's bringing the humor that I always wish we've gotten out of Kid Flash. Number one, Supergirl. Wow, this season has been phenomenal. Last year it finished as my second favorite Arrow show, and this year it has taken the number one spot at the midseason point. Rain has been an incredible villain. She's given me serious Davis Bloom voices. And her fight with Supergirl in the mid-season, mid-season finale is one of the best fights in the history of the Arrowverse. It reminded me of a lot of the Battle of Metropolis. Speaking of Davis Bloom, there have been so many Smallville callbacks this season of Supergirl. Of course, we got Lois Lane as the new Allura, but also the entire episode Midville, or Midvale felt like a love letter to Smallville, complete with a Chloe Sullivan email exchange. Another hotline of the season for me was Supergirl and Martian Manhunter going to Mars and finding uh, Megon, or Mayon Jones, played by the DCAU's Martian Manhunter. Carl Lumbly is just a joy to watch in the role. And Mayon, I'm probably butchering the <laughs> John's father's name there, but him accumulating acclim- acc- to Earth customs have been so funny. Or yeah, Monel's return has also added somewhat heartbreaking aspect to the story, and the introduction of the Legion, which I called as soon as Monel went through the wormhole at the end of season two, has been so exciting. Has been so exciting, has me very eager to see more. Yeah, so for my rankings is going to be a little different. Only the last two are going to flip flop. Number four for me is Legends as well. I actually think it's the weakest it's been since its run. I thought season two was great and the overall story arc for this year just hasn't grabbed me yet number three is arrow like you said just not living up to the potential it had to go off from season five and is kind of t- taking a step back for me and number two would be supergirl i agree i thought the storyline with rain has been really good and you know just the whole dynamic between the establishing the relationship of her character being friends with Kara and not you know realizing she's going to be the villain has been re- really well done now, number one, I'm going to go with The Flash. And I wouldn't have said that early on because there's pretty lackluster episodes this season. I agree, Elongated Man has been, you know, a welcome addition to this team has been funny. But it wasn't until it got to the Thinker storyline where I thought the season really kicked into high gear. Because the mid-season finale, especially the the plan and trap he laid out for Barry, which it led him to getting arrested, I thought was really well done. So, if it wasn't for those last few episodes flash probably would have been lower, but because they were so good, I put it at number one. So hopefully it continues when it comes back and that's going to conclude Jordan's email. So as always, thank you for Jordan it took us a little longer to read this one, but <laughs> it's a nice distraction having uh, Mark come in for that fun conversation. So, uh, look forward to your next one.
0: Right. So now we can get to our comic book reviews. Um, for this episode it's going to be Batman number 38 Batman TMNT two number two that's for that's two number two
1: yeah, it's like a two-face title huh yeah.
0: <laughs> do and doomsday clock number two um, Our rating our, our rating skill for this episode is going to be times that Mark needs to come on to explain to Tim something that Dane said yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right <laughs> Um, so like we said at the beginning of every single comic book review section, uh, it's going to be a lot of spoilers. So if you haven't read your books yet, you know, want to pause this right here and then come back to this later. So, um, Tim, uh, Batman number 38.
1: Yeah. So Batman number 38, this is kind of just a single arc story, which is a different type of story, but one that was pretty well done. It's a, you know, Batman has crazy villains. With crazy origin stories. And Tom King almost took that to another level here because it starts off with uh, a a kid whose parents were murdered. They were stabbed and they were cut all over. And this kid was kind of taught to admire or this admired Bruce Wayne so much and wanted to be like him, so much so that his butler would even call him Master Bruce. And so now, you know, he's having a similar situation that happened to him which happened to Bruce with his parents being killed. So he goes to Bruce for help and comfort, which of course Bruce provides. And then as Batman is going to go investigate. And the course of the story plays off like a detective story of Batman trying to figure out uh, who killed his parents. And then at the course of this, he finds more people getting murdered similarly. And his first suspect is Zass. Like I said, they're being cut, but it turns out that Zass isn't the person behind it. And then as Bruce continues as, or I should say Batman continues to investigate, he finds another murder that leads to being more of two faces, like a, a murder that two faces would do where there's a lot of twos involved in, you know, trying to lead Batman to the next victim and the next place where murder is going to be. And over the course of the issue, we see uh, Bruce talking uh, to this to this young boy here who likes to refer to himself as Bruce Wayne on just telling him, like, how do you deal with it? Does it get better? And, you know, why does this happen? Why does this happen to me? And Bruce is covering him. It reminded me a lot of Bruce comforting Dick in the Robin's reckoning episode, which is one of my favorite scenes in all of Batman, the animated series. So not quite to that level, but it, it still invoked that emotion of Bruce trying to be there for someone who's going through the same thing that he is. So Bruce starting to put things together where things aren't adding up, where it's, this is someone trying to make me believe that Zass is behind this murder or Two-Face is behind this murder. And then, you know, he starts to realize that he's starting to put pieces together that, you know, it's going to probably involve that kid who has been, you know, Bruce has been comforting and he leads him to his butler. And once he confronts his butler, he pretty much has realized that he's going to be. You know, the one who's behind all this, you know, wanting to, you know, get all the money being the boy's guardian with his parents being killed and all that wanting the money leading to believe that he was behind those murders. And then once we get to the section of the story where Bruce is talking to the boy again, he's like saying, how how can this happen? He's supposed to take care of me and trying to look for comfort in Bruce and ways that they can be similar to each other and just finding ways to get through it the way that bruce went through the struggles when his parents were killed so all that was kind of cool but the big reveal at the end is kind of a positive and a negative because as bruce is having dinner with selena and you know they're making jokes with alfred as far as the butler and glad he hasn't done that to bruce like that kid's butler did to him but then he starts thinking you know what Everything that's been going on here, you know, the killing of the boy's parents, making it look like it was Zass and Two-Face, it's, like, really silly. It almost seems childish. And that's when Bruce realizes it's actually the kid who is behind all these murders. And the thing that makes it such a unique story and twist is that it's this kid being so obsessed with wanting to be Bruce Wayne, he's trying to recreate everything that happened to bruce so he can be just like him and in a way save gotham through bruce being like bruce as he has done in real life so batman confronts him and he's all saying you know i was scared but you know this means i get a chance to be brave and this is all stuff bruce is telling him so he's taking what bruce used as comfort and twisting it to justify all these murders that he's doing so i liked it because it was such a new unique way to have a new batman villain who is this crazy kid trying to justify this by being like bruce wayne but just you know perverting it and twisting in such an evil way so i thought that was just something different and unique but at the same time right away i kind of knew where the story was going where the kid was going to be involved with the murders it was like it was kind of predictable but at the same time it was still kind of a story worth telling that seeing this new perspective on someone who could think like this so overall it was a good issue i'm going to go ahead and give it uh three and a half out of uh, five times we had to have Mark on to explain something that Dane said to Tim. <laughs> All right. So next up, Batman and TMNT number two. And this issue is, you know, picking up where we left off where Bane has infiltrated New York and the Turtles universe. So now Batman and Donatello and Damien have to get back there to try to help uh, Donatello's family out. And so beginning of this issue has, you know, a fun sequence. First off, it's Batman confronting race. They're Batman, Donatello, and Damien are looking for parts to complete the transport to send them to uh, the Turtles universe. And just hearing Rachel Gould say the words Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, it's still (laughs) something I can't get over how awesome that we have this crossover. Seeing stuff like that is just so cool. But then we get a fun sequence with Donatello and Damien chasing Mr. Freeze in the sewers to get this part they need for that uh, transport device to get to their universe. And this more great dialogue between Donatello and Damien here, especially after they apprehend Mr. Freeze and Donatello is saying, you know what, I just got to say you know, it's really impressive what you do creating your cold gun and, you know, using like diamonds to power your suit to survive. It's really impressive. And Damien's all, you know what? We really don't geek out and have fanboy moments over our villains once we stop that. <laughs> Donatello. Well, you probably should. You got really cool ones. So that was fun. Then they do finish the transport device and go to the Turtles universe. And this is where we get, you know, some good character moments here once uh, the Turtles, Donatello, or was Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo, we pick up with them. They're just having a hard time dealing with Bain. We don't see any of the fights, but it's been a struggle trying to keep peace in the streets of New York with Bain being so overpowering and you know, really, he really injured Michelangelo and they're bringing him back to the sewers. And that's where they see Donatello, Batman and Damien together. Then I really liked your words revealed. Damien says, you know, at first the turtles think oh cool donnie you went to gotham to bring reinforcements to help us fight bane and damon's all no your brother screwed all this up he's the one who caused all this and then Raph just gets in his face you know saying that we're out there getting hurt in the cities as the worst it's ever been and that's all because of you of course splinter has to calm down raphael and then we get a nice little reunion with batman and splinter who had a cool little skirmish in the first series so this scene there uh you know see each other again and the respect they have was pretty cool so i liked all that stuff some cool character moments and then on the bane side of things we see him just overpowering this, or just having take control of the foot clan and how the only ones who are trying to resist his takeover are b and rocksteady and we get a I wish we actually saw them fight Bane, but, you know, they were all saying, oh, we'll take this down. You know, we're, we're mutant rhinos and warthogs. We'll be able to face them. But once they see Bane, they immediately just kneel and submit to his rules. So I wish we kind of would have saw Bane versus Bebop and Rocksteady fight. That would have been cool. But uh, I guess I could live with, you know, them still joining his team and maybe we'll see a fight eventually. But the thing is, Batman and the Turtles, Batman tells the Turtles that Bane needs venom and it doesn't exists in this universe so he'll run out eventually and that'll be our time to strike but Bane knows this and he has a plan so he brings you know the resident scientists in the TMNT universe which is of course Baxter Stockman he kidnaps him and then he has one vial of venom left and he's going to have Baxter Stockman make more for him so that's where the issue left off another again uh not the most eventful issue in the story so far but still more great character moments and i'll never get tired of seeing the turtles interact with the characters from the batman universe so i'm going to give this one four out of five times we have to have mark on to explain a comparison made by dane and then finally we get to doomsday clock uh man this issue i love the first one but this one's even better because this is we're getting into the stuff what's making this event so exciting, the Watchmen characters interacting with DC characters, and we got that here, and I loved it. <laughs> but first off, we get uh, a sequence where Roy Shack and Ozzy Mandias are preparing to leave their universe to hopefully get to where Dr. Manhattan, which where dr manhattan went which is of course we know the dc universe before you know the missile strike launches and blows up the city or most of the country probably too but before they leave they were getting shown as the characters marionette and mime as they rescued as rorschach rescued from the previous issue and they need them for dr manhattan and we kind of get the explanation why here as rorschach and ozzy mandias are watching an old security camera footage of them robbing a bank which i gotta say was a a a unique and entertaining way to see a bank robbery by these type of villains who really aren't a threat because mime is just holding a bank teller hostage with his finger, pretending it's a gun, but yet the uh, bank teller is still very much afraid of, of him. It's like, even though they don't seem threatening, they still have that effect where everyone would be afraid and you really buy it as you read it in the story. So it was a fun little sequence there to see how these two characters would be villains in the Watchmen universe. But uh, the main point of this uh, flashback is that we get to see Doctor Manhattan come to apprehend him, and as he abouts to vaporize Mime, a uh, Marionette gets in the way to saying "Don't kill him." But we know Doctor Manhattan can easily wipe them out with the point of a finger. But it makes the point that he realizes she is pregnant with a baby, so he lets them survive. And you know that's what makes Ozzy Mendez and Warshak, you know, or Ozzy Mendez in particular realize, you know. There's some, that's why we need them to have that be a moment from John's past that we can use to bring him back because they say, you know, he's killed, Rorschach says he's killed people for less than that. And Auntie Mandeus agrees that's the point. He knows, he goes, he's like physically and emotionally, you know, I manipulated him before and I can probably do that again with this scenario to bring him back. So they're about to leave, but then the missile strike does happen and, you know, they barely just make it out. They're a bit caught in the explosion. And I just love the way you know, the artwork and the panels transition here from there's this cool places or cool layout where you see the explosion happening. And these panels, you see Ozymandias reacting to the explosion, mime and marionette. Then you see Rorschach's face and it zooms into his mass and the ink block paintings. And then on the next page, it transitions into, you know, a Rorschach test that Bruce Wayne is going through, (laughs) through at Wayne Enterprises. And it's just the transaction transition from that was so beautifully done. Um, laid out perfectly in how it transitions from the Watchmen universe to the DC universe with Bruce having this test and he has to have this test done annually uh, at the request of the shareholders and I just love the images of the ink block test you can easily tell what you think Bruce is going to say because when I look at it it's supposed to represent Bruce sitting by the bodies of his parents at the time of their murder but he just says different things you know just kind of messing with the, the psychiatrist there and then at this point, we learn more, and if I remember right, Doomsday Clock takes place a year before or a year after the events we're seeing right now in the DC timeline. Because there's things going on here that we haven't heard before. And one of the big things is this thing called the Superman Theory, which is causing unrest a lot of places in the world, and especially in America. And the Superman Theory, which it goes into in those, you know, newspaper clipping. Uh, sections of the comic at the very end, after the main thrust of the issue, the philosophy pages tells you stories of what's going on and builds the universe up a little more. And that section it says how the Superman theory is a an event where governments are thinking other places in the world and countries that superheroes are mainly from America, and why is that? And they're thinking, you know, a lot of the heroes that are coming up our government, you know, sponsored or created by that. And it's come out that characters like Metamorpho and his accident was actually a staged event sponsored by the government, also with Kirk Langstrom and Manbat. So that causes unrest and an uproar in the country. And even those in Gotham, to, you know, even not... Subscribe or believe in Batman anymore? Because we have a conversation with Bruce and Lucius. How he says Gotham, you know, they don't trust Batman anymore. Bruce is all, Have they ever really? And he, him, and Lex are in competition. it Actually, Wayne Enterprises in danger of being bought out by LexCorp, and the board could actually sell. So both of them are in competition to explore more of the metahuman gene, and that's where Bruce is, you know, having struggles on, you know, this personal front as far as trying to save his company, but also, you know, having a lot of the country not believe in heroes anymore. And this is another great transition or this panel layout where Bruce is looking up in the sky. He sees the bat signal amongst the clouds. And then we see night owl ship, you know, uh, Archimedes just fly through it and just crash down into the streets of Gotham. And just seeing the, (laughs) <laughs> just crazy again one of the things i liked about the crossover, what i was excited for seeing rorschach and Mendez walk the streets of gotham and kind of talk about this universe and i just love the conversation to have where they go to the library to see you know who who to go to to see how they could fast or the best way possible to find dr manhattan the fastest and so they go to the gotham library and the what they realize is that this world is like theirs, like some ways it's ahead and some ways it's behind, but it has so much more heroes. And I like the dialogue they have here that um, even Mandaya says that uh, mm-hmm. some of these characters were even fictional in our world. And so Rorschach responds saying, you know, fiction in our world, but maybe Dr. Manhattan created them here. And Mandaya says, or he could be one of them, kind of maybe playing in disguise as, mm-hmm. as one of these characters. So just these crazy theories that you could take from that and the possibilities of what dr manhattan has been doing this whole time in the dc universe so i just like how they're explaining their this world has so much more heroes and at the same time it's heroes they're familiar with in their universe but they were just fictional so a lot of cool stuff there and then they decide they're going to go after the two smartest people in this universe and of course that's bruce wayne and lex luthor so this is where the issue kind of ends where rorschach and aldi Mandea split up Rorschach's gonna go to see Bruce Wayne, Ozzy Mendeus is gonna go see Lex Luthor. And I just love the artwork here by Gary Frank and having Rorschach infiltrate Wayne Manor. Just he's he sees this piece of food left on the table with Bruce's breakfast left there by Alfred, and he just eats it and just looking for a secret entrance to the back cave, and he finds the clock tower and goes in. And he has some great dialogue here as he's walking through the Batcave saying, you know, only monsters keep trophies like this. And he goes, this reminds me of Walter Kovac, the original Rorschach. And he says they're kind of similar here. You know, it's how they couldn't let go of the past. They're just obsessed with reliving it over and over. And that is kind of true. It was bruising what motivates him to be Batman and his parents murder. So I like that dialogue. And then Ozymandias and Lex Luthor had some great dialogue, too as it recounts his plan which in the original Watchmen to try to unite the world and Lex Luthor just had the best response to it he goes you're surprised that humanity wasn't saved by that plan he goes if you're the smartest man in your planet I'd hate to meet the dumbest and <laughs> just Lex showing how you know overconfident he is and just you know he's not shared a, he's not humble in any way to show how superior he is to Ozzy Mendez and I love that so uh, they have their confrontation. Bruce, you know, Rorschach set off the alarm for the Batcave. So Bruce goes back and then we see them face to face. Just, I like the dialogue they had too. It was just something simple. Bruce goes to him, you ate my breakfast. And Rorschach just goes, yeah, I did. And that's where it ends on their front. But the big surprise and reveal in this episode is that while Lex and Ozzy Mandeas are talking, a gunshot rips through the room. It shoots Lex and Ozzy Mandeas is they want to get out of the way. And you just see the words... Last time you came at me, I was confused, drunk. And then Ozymandias just says, impossible. Then we get the reveal that it's the comedian. <laughs> he's somehow in this universe. And I think there's more to meet the eye here than it's just, you know, the comedian that was in Watchmen and that is killed. There's got to be some bigger explanation to why he's here and still alive. So, and I can't wait to find that out. So, yeah, I love this issue. This one we're only on issue two of a 12 part series, but this is exactly what I was hoping for with Watchmen crossing to the DC universe with these small character interactions. And I can't wait for more. So I'm going to give this one four and a half out of five times that Mark had to come on and explain the comparison that Dane made. It's a lot of times. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's been great. So it's yeah. definitely living up to the hype for me. Oh, good. Good. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it. Right. Tim? Yeah. Yep, that's uh, our first show of the year.
1: Yeah, it was a big one too.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really long, um, but tons of fun and great discussion. So yeah, it was yeah. a great way to kick off the year. Uh, so yeah, just go over to the batmanuniverse.net, facebook.com/slash batman universe, uh, Twitter handles at batmanuniverse universe, Tim's Twitter handles at timg311. I'll say it, Tim. Thank you, Dan. This is your one year, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> one year. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: either one a year or whenever something big happens with yeah. 311, 11 <laughs> or if you if you
0: don't if you don't like uh, episode 9 <laughs> yeah. or the Han Solo movie or the Han Solo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my Twitter handle is at Um rating reviews on iTunes and if you want to send in send in an email you can send you can send it to Pants at gmail.com so with that Like we say at the end of every single show.
1: We love each and every one of you
0: with all of our bad hearts. With all of our bad hearts. With that, see you guys next time.
1: See you later.